All right, buckle up, bitches. Michael Chiavello's <laughs> in the house. And this would be the spot where I'd play the music, but I don't have it. I don't have it here. My, my assistant is not here, so we're, we're going we're going commando style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's good to be back here, brother. Good to see you, my friend. Good Internationally known and locally respected, Michael Chiavello, my pal, my my, my colleague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're like uh, we have, we have a, an interesting friendship, you know. Where there's only like a few of us that do uh, this uh, martial arts commentary shit, you know, Smooth professionally. Mm-hmm. There's a, a small handful. Yeah, you know, so it's a. Uh, it was always it was cool when I first met you. You know, it was yeah. cool. To, it was cool. You're a good dude. It was Thank fun you, to brother. hang with you. You know, you too, and, man. You too. We first been Edmonton. Yeah. After your show there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always nice when you know someone else does what you do and you actually like them. You know. Very true. Very true. Thank you. Yeah, you're, and for sure, no one's better at that K1 shit. There's no one better at, at Muay Thai commentary than you, man. You're Thank the you, best. Brother. I listen all the time. I watch that HD Nan. I told you, when you got here, when, he, <laughs> when Mike and his wife got here, uh, I was, or his fiance rather, I was fucking working out in the garage with his voice on the TV. <laughs> yeah, I got it set up so there's a TV back there, and that's all I ever watch. Yeah, that's HD cool. Man, you'll sit up out there is insane, man. It's so nice to that's have. That's crazy. I can never, I have no excuse for not being in shape. There's, you know, there's a gym right there. Yeah. I can't, I don't have to go anywhere. Full size octagon, man. Yeah, I just step it's out awesome. of my, my house and, and wander yeah. into it, man. Yeah. It's nice. Man, it's good to be here. This has been a long trip. It's in the final stretch now. Michael's thinking about moving here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He might might move to the United States mm-hmm. of America. It's a long way to travel, brother, every two weeks from Melbourne to LA, then wherever we do the shows on HTNet and all the way back home. Then when I have to go to Europe, like before I came here, this trip I was in Europe. Then last month I was in Europe for Bama. It's just... It's How far is it to Europe? From Australia to get to, uh, let's say, Italy, where I just was before this trip, 35 hours. From the time I left my house to the time I arrived in Rome was like 35 hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. That doesn't seem like it would be right. It seems like you're going the wrong way. Mm. It, seems, it seems like there must be a quicker way. Can we go the other way? <laughs> yeah. Can you go we over the spin pole? Spin the world back around like Superman did the well, other way? How, I mean, that's like that's like flying from Sydney to Melbourne by going all the way around the planet. Yeah, by going the opposite way. Really? Yeah. Well, where Genuinely. is it? Where is it? In, 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 is there another way to go? That, no, there's It seems no. like there would be a way to go that's shorter No, we have to go from, uh, we go Melbourne up to Hong Kong then from Hong Kong we switch planes and fly across China Russia Siberia I need a map of the into world Europe. to really wrap my head around mm-hmm. this I'm gonna need to look at a map of the world oh, it's nuts man we're very far away that's why Aussies travel so much you know you were just on a holiday recently and you said you saw a lot of Aussies around and oh, yeah. the Aussies are traveling because our dollar is good and your dollar sucks so is it's a it good time for us to travel yeah everything's cheaper that, at the moment how does that work man our dollar is killing your dollar for the first time I can ever remember in my in my life well, I never knew whether or not you guys had a strong dollar or a weak dollar, but what I, I'll never understand the dollar. I'll never understand. No, I, I don't understand how it shifts and moves, and I don't understand how ours is so strong. It's I'll such a small population as well. How there's the same amount of people, okay? There's the same amount of stuff, and then somehow or another, Boom. there's not as much money, and things are closing. Like, it's, it's, it seems illogical. Yeah. It seems like, if you look at it just from a pure resource-based standpoint, okay, there's a certain amount of oil, there's a certain amount of wood, there's a certain amount of plastic, certain amount of material to make things, certain amount of desire and need for these things. Uh-huh. So once money gets moving, mm-hmm. it pretty much stays moving. Mm-hmm. But what, what is it that creates some giant hiccup that fucks the whole system sideways? I mean, if you watch like Inside Job or any yeah. of these movies on it, you get to find out what it really is and see how deep the corruption is. But to a layperson like myself who knows very little about economics 
it almost seems like it can't happen. But just even countries getting into debt. Yeah. And like Greece. Greece is almost bankrupt. Like what do they do when they run out of money now? What, what, does someone buy Greece? Well, I think we're, <laughs> we're right there too. You know, you guys are on the brink of it as well. And what yeah. happens when, when that happens? I mean, I your debt's like several trillion dollars. I can't even fathom a the trillion to? dollars. Who do we owe the money to? That's exactly. what I don't understand. Who are you borrowing Is off? it other countries? If every country in the world is in debt, is that the case? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's, that would be the most ridiculous shit ever. If that is the case, that would it would really someone needs to write a book about that. The world as bankruptcy, because if that is the case, every country the one, then we have to figure out who they might own the money money to. Yeah. And once you find out who they owe the money to, then you find out the new world order. Exactly. Then you find out the real CFR and the maybe Greece and now America is taking their lesson from K one. How Maybe. to spend too much money and not be yeah. able to pay it all back. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were talking about this before. Uh, you know, um, Michael's been doing the uh, K1 commentary forever. Mm. And uh, all the great K1 events, the Grand Prix, the, the K1 Max and the Max Grand Prix and the finals. And fuck, you called some amazing fights. But apparently it's just not as popular as it used to be. And now um, they're, they're hurting financially, unfortunately. No, they're hurting you know? big time financially. They owe most of their top fighters money. They yeah. owe a lot of their staff money as well. It's just not coming coming through. So without the money to be able to pay fighters, how, do you, how are they even going to stage a Grand Prix this year? Yeah. How is the Ream going to get to defend the title if you can't afford your Alistairs and your Butter Hurries and your Semi Shorts and your Rimbo and Bonjaskis? God, I, I really don't see how that isn't a home run if somebody wanted to pick it up. You know, and I, I talked to Dana White about this. I said, dude, have you ever thought about buying the K1? And he's like, yeah, people don't give a fuck about K1. And it's like, you know, people you know, don't want to see kickboxing. It's sort of like PKA karate kind of like ruined it. Like there's some really good fights, but people, you know, MMA is so huge and so popular that it would almost be like, and I saw his point. It's like almost like creating your own competitor or something like that or building up a business that doesn't exist and but but, but they, their product though is pretty much once somebody sees it fuck. then you're, you're hooked on it yeah but that's you what know? i'm saying it's like you know you people might say that like some kickboxing never took off or maybe maybe he's not as i know dana doesn't spend nearly as much time watching kickboxing as i do i'm a i'm a huge yeah. K1 fan and I, I love watching it and I watch it all the time and there's guys that don't get into it, like Eddie Bravo can't get into it man he goes I try to watch and I can't watch it I mean, maybe it's just because I started off in striking base martial arts so I can appreciate the Giorgio Petrosians or the Masatos or those, yeah. those kind of characters but to me man you, how the fuck do you not want the K1 heavyweight Grand Prix exactly has it ever been anything but fucking crazy exactly every year I don't think I can remember a boring Grand Prix maybe like 03, 04 when Remy won it both times and both times he went like the distance in every right. fight uh, Every other Grand Prix has been amazing. Remy's an interesting case, isn't he? He's Mm. so technical. He's Mm. an interesting guy. And where a lot of fighters don't like him. A lot of fighters don't like his personality. They don't like what he represents. Remy is an interesting guy. A gentleman. Yeah. Like an absolute gentleman. So well-mannered. But then you also have to wonder if that is not just for when it's in public. Mm -hmm. A lot of the fighters don't like Remy. I personally like the guy. He's a cool guy. I don't know if he's he's a guy I could spend 24 hours with or hang out at nightclubs or, Mm -hmm. you know, parties with. Always a gentleman. But, uh, you know, I never see many of the other fighters hanging out with Remy. For the people who don't know what we're talking about, this is K1 deep inside shit. Mm -hmm. Remy is Remy Bonjaski who's one of the greatest kickboxers uh, to ever come out of Holland, which is one of the greatest kickboxing centers in the world. 
where America has really kind of lost touch with kickboxing, Holland has really embraced the sport, and it's gigantic over there. Guys like you know Peter Ertz, guys like Ernesto Hoost, and yeah. you know, and and Tyrone Spong, yeah. enormously popular. Sure, great. Rob Kamen, yeah, Raymond you know, Deckers, who's a great friend yeah. of mine, Ramon Deckers. So there's so many great, great fighters that come out of there. They're huge celebrities over there. Yeah. It's a different. Totally different experience. I mean, Holland's a small country, but their kickboxing is legendary. For this one small part of the world, they've produced some of the greatest kickboxers of all time. And the respect over there for these guys is very mainstream. I mean, mm-hmm. two years, it might have been... No, 2008 it was. Ernesto Hoost got, like, knighted mm-hmm. by... I don't know if it's royal family or the government. It must be the royal family of Holland, obviously. Got knighted. So we were joking in Japan. I'm like, Ernesto, do I have to call you Sir Ernesto mm-hmm. now? But... How crazy is that yeah, to think a kickboxer crazy. gets knighted? Yeah. I mean, could you imagine that happening in America? You know, in no, America, it happening in Britain, even. Yeah. No way, Michael Bisping's going to become Sir Michael Bisping anytime soon. Maybe. You know? you never know. You never <laughs> in his own know. mind. He's a pop- popular fella. <laughs> it is unusual. And if, if fighters want to learn kickboxing in this day and age, there's two places in the world that they travel to. They will either travel to Thailand yeah. or they'll travel to Holland. Yeah. It's that simple. If you want to learn the genuine art of Muay Thai, you know, which is Thailand's national martial art dating back thousands of years and has long been their military martial art, still is there, their military martial art. Uh, you know, you go, to, you go to Thailand to learn it. Any of the great camps over there from, you know, Fairtex, Sichuatong, um, the WMC camp in Koh Samui, and you learn the knees, the elbows, the grappling, and all the, the Thai techniques. Mm-hmm. If you go to Holland, though, what you're primarily learning is modified Thai. It's the, the, the punches, the kicks, and the knees with limited clinching and pretty much no elbows. You know, they have elbow fights over there, obviously, but the main rules are modified tie, which is knees and, and no elbows. And why did they eliminate elbows? Just, I think, for the reason that, uh, you know, the cuts, first of all, stop a very good fight. And mm-hmm. uh, as much as I love seeing a good elbow, there are a lot of times, especially commentating Muay Thai, where I rue having elbows in the sport because I've seen some great battles where two guys are going back and forth, just pounding on each other. Four rounds, we go into the fifth round, you think, God, this is going to go down to the wire, could be anyone's fight. And then some guy throws one elbow that cuts the other dude. And the cut may not be that deep, but most times they'll tend to stop a fight. Mm. Now, if it cuts over the eyes and it's going to run into the eyes, and I've seen perfectly good fights stopped Mm. from cuts. I see it that way, but I also see it the other way. Like, they're so effective. You can't root. If you take them out, you're taking out a part of what makes it a martial art. If you're talking self-defense, like I believe Muay Thai is one of the best arts you can learn for self-defense. It's so yeah. complete. Self-defense reasons, yeah. For entertainment purposes, though, and especially for television purposes, mm. and where you're trying to grow sports, like in Holland back in the day, and in Japan, how they grew kickboxing since, mm. you know, Master Ishii invented K1 in 1993. And the thing was all about television ratings. You know, K1 used to have a long-time clinching rule where you could put on a Muay Thai clinch and grapple with the guy like you do in Muay Thai. But now it's Alistair like a... Till Alistair came and, you know, Bob Zapp came along and guys yeah, the, guys that could handle, hang on to people and just bludgeon them. Yeah. So now it's like one hand, one clinch, knee and, and release. Yeah. But it's all, it's all for television purposes. You know, in, in Thailand, you have to fight with elbows. You can't fight modified Thai. I mean, there's a lot of rules when you fight a proper sanctioned bout in, in Thailand. You've got to wear the mongkol and the flower shop around the neck and a lot of guys wear the, you know, the prajir, the armbands. And they what do is the, the significance of all that stuff? It's all superstitious. superstitious. The ties are very, very superstitious, always have been. And usually the mongkol, which is what they wear around their head, looks like a, like a, like a, a tennis racket. Yeah. It's compulsory if you fight for the WMC in particular, which is the world sanctioning body, uh, to wear a mongkol 
on your way to the ring. You have to do it. You also have to do the wham, uh, the Waikru Ramoy, which is a, a pre-fight ritual of the TIE fighter that looks like a, a dance. I suppose a mix between a dance and a, a yoga routine almost. And uh, what they're doing there is, it, it's, it, it's very deep meaning. They're blessing their corner and asking the gods to bless their corner, uh, thank their trainer, and also bless the opposite corner and hope that your opponent doesn't get hurt too much. And you have to perform this before every single fight, uh, you know, WMC in Thailand in particular. And it go, it, these guys can go for a long time. Some of them I've seen have been up to five minutes long. You know, it's 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 crazy, but it's all part of the the, the beautiful formal history of, of the sport that have they're you, maintaining. Do you know Sam Sheridan? Do you know who he is? Sam I, is I, the writer of A Fighter's yeah. Heart, A Fighter's Mind. Yep. He's actually uh, married to my friend Patty, and uh, I got a chance to hang out with that dude and, and talk to him. He's a really, really cool guy. And he um, he went over there and lived in Thailand and you know and stayed over there for months and had a, a Muay Thai fight and they documented it for a TV show. Mm. It was a really fascinating experience, man. It's really really cool to watch. He did the full the the dance the white crew and the, the red boy. Yeah. yeah, he did all that before you know all traditional. Yep. You know, and uh, it was fascinating. And he, he got really set up. They, they set him up with some Yakuza-type dude oh. covered in tattoos who was a badass kickboxer. And they tried to say that this guy was like an amateur. <laughs> but the guy wasn't in that good of shape, and he tired out, and, and Sam got him. Jeez. He got hurt before that. He got cracked by this guy. And he's, you know, relative, yeah. relatively amateur. It's crazy you know? over there. It's just so popular. You know, it's on TV yeah. every night. It's on Channel 7. Show, you know, show a lot of the fights. Channel 7 has their own stadium. And as you know, in Thailand, uh, it's not so much about being a world champion. It's about being a stadium champion. And the two main stadiums are Lumpini and Rajdamun Stadium. And if you're a champion of either one of those stadiums, you're like the man. You know, wow. you're like top of the sport. WMC champions, WBC champions, it's like, eh, they don't consider them that highly in Thailand. If you're a stadium champion, you're the man. Wow. So is it like, this is my house, and then everybody has to come to fight you in your house? Pretty much. Defend that title? So a stadium champion, like, is, the stadiums are so popular that a fighter, like, say, Dodger Stadium, the guy would be the Dodger Stadium champion. The Dodger Stadium champion. And, and then people would all come They to have him. a ranking system. Wow. And then you get to be number one contender and fight so-and-so for the, you know, the Dodger Stadium title. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's huge over there. And they start really young, right? They start really young. Five, six years old. You know, got, you know kids are fighting already. By the, by the time that they reach uh, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, they've already had 150 fights. God. You know, we're commentating Thai guys. Senchai. Senchai saw Kingstar. YouTube him. He's amazing. Does these acrobatic cartwheel kicks. You know, former Lumpini and, and Regiment champion, multiple champion. And, uh, and, you know, commentating him just a fight that he had in Queensland, Australia a few weeks ago against Kurt Finlayson. You know, dude's got like 230 fights, 240 fights. I've commentated guys with over 300 fights. Amazing. Like, and that's full tie rules. That's knees and elbows. And in my opinion, that style is the most effective style for stand-up. Yeah. There's a lot of techniques that don't that you can you find in other martial arts, like wheel kicks and turning side kicks that are real knockout techniques. But if you want to look at one comprehensive package for striking, it's so it's so economical with the leg kicks, the the short movements to create big power, mm -hmm. the emphasis on power, especially the emphasis on power leg kicks, yeah. where they know there's only a certain amount of these you can take well you know there's a lot of flashy techniques as you said yeah. before in other martial arts but think about it for a self-defense purpose if you're in a nightclub and some drunk guys bailed you up against a wall 
you're not going to be able to pull off a spinning hook kick. Right. You know, and turn so you him back grab kick. his fucking head. You'll grab his you head in the clinch and lay the fuck out of him and yeah. elbow him and, and yeah. you know, go, go to work on him on the inside, which is what Muay Thai does perfectly. And, you know, Muay Thai is one of the most uh, brilliant at that, that ability to control the neck and throw guys around. Like, until you've, like, had a guy like Kamen or someone, you know, who's like a, a world champion, grab a hold of your neck and throw hurts, you around man. from that position. It's amazing how much control they have over you. Once you control your neck, neck like yeah. a handle. You control the body weight. You yeah. control the opponent's motion, which is, I'm surprised that actually we don't see in mixed martial arts people utilizing the Thai clinch the way the Thais do right. and using it for takedowns. Yet well, again, you watch someone like, you know, WMC champion Tam Madsui or Sanchai mm -hmm. and you see him lock up with a guy. Mm -hmm. When you fought like Kurt Finlayson in Australia, would lock up with Kurt mm -hmm. and just wrench him to the canvas. Right. And the Thais also follow you down onto the canvas mm -hmm. because what they like to do drop is land, the weight on you, drop the weight, you. drop a knee on you, you know, yeah. knee your head, knee you on the rib cage yeah. and on the way down. Uh -huh. So if you look at that from a mixed martial arts position, these guys are often ending up in a mount almost, yep. if not in side control from this beautiful wrenching takedown. Yeah. And you they know? can throw even yeah. grapplers around with yep. it, man. It's a like remember when Anderson got a hold of Rich Franklin? Yeah. Rich Franklin had no idea that Anderson would ever do that to him. His thought was that Anderson is going to want to strike with him, so he's going to want to keep his distance. When Anderson just grabbed a hold of him and locked those two forearms together, it's like you're caught in a vice grip, man. If you're fighting a good Muay Thai fighter, you're not getting out. And I've seen small ties to you know small ties doing seminars in Australia mm -hmm. and 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 watching them train throw around big guys. Mm -hmm. You know, you see like a 55 kilogram tie. Throwing around, throwing around a guy that weighs 85, 90 kilos, just ragdolling him. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing position. Yeah. And people don't utilize it enough. But it's one of those things that's it's going to slowly come over. You know, the, the real high-level versions of it are going to come over into MMA. And then we're going to really see people appreciating it. Yeah. I see, you know, you see the Anderson Silva version of it. But there's some guys out there like Buakow, just grab That motherfucker grabs a hold of your neck. Mm. He gets those elbows planted and clips that hand Death behind sentence. the neck. Fuck, yeah. man. You're locked. It's like anything else. There's levels of it. There's the Marcelo Garcia yeah. rear naked choke, which is, an, you know... In all due respect, it's not like a Mark Coleman yeah. rear naked choke. You know what I mean? There's levels of the technique. Mark Coleman gets your back. He's going to squeeze the fucking yeah. shit out of you and put you unconscious. But he's a gorilla, brute force, power wrestler. Even though he knows the technique, he doesn't have it that laser sharp effective yeah. technique like a Marcelo Garcia like the highest end Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and that's no disrespect to Coleman no. it's just like these really super super technical guys you get a guy who's super super technical at that clinch and really understands it and the thing is that the Thai fighters you know these guys are doing it with 12 ounce 10 ounce gloves on mm -hmm. just yeah. so hard Yeah, you know to lock on a clinch like that's so tight the way they do it these, with these large gloves these aren't mixed martial arts 4 right. ounces you know these are but they have the benefit of not worrying about someone taking them down. Very true. That's really what a big, big part of it is. And it's like one of the things that I would tell people about Taekwondo. I would say Taekwondo is not of the most effective martial art. But there's a few things in it that if you get really good at it, you can fuck people up yeah. with it. And they won't know that you know how to do it. Because for most people, it's a, it's a very, very difficult thing to learn. Like spinning hook kicks yeah. and head kicks and all those techniques. And the reason why people get so good at it in Taekwondo is because in Taekwondo tournaments, you can't punch to the face. Yeah. And you can't take a guy down. So you only concentrate on all these crazy leg techniques. And in doing so, you get a, an, 
a level of dexterity that you would never get if you looked at the whole thing. Yeah. So that's like the argument in martial arts and mixed martial arts of being the specialist instead of being uh, someone who's a jack of all trades. Yeah. You know, someone who being someone who's a killer at Muay Thai or being someone who's a killer at at one particular aspect of mixed martial arts is way better than being pretty good at all of them. The other thing that gets me about, you know, you're talking about kicking in the various martial arts is just how you think to yourself, if you don't know anything about martial arts, you think how many possible ways are there to throw a round kick at somebody? But the fact is there are so many different ways. Chokashin karate mm -hmm. throws a, a mawashigeti different than a round kick from Taekwondo, mm -hmm. different from a round kick from Shotokan, different from a round kick by a Savat fighter, mm -hmm. different from a round kick from a Muay Thai fighter. So many different ways that they throw them between the arts. And it, it's amazing how you know these have, have adapted over, over hundreds of years. Well, the question mark kick is really just starting to make its way into MMA. I mean, really starting to be more effective in and MMA. And this is something that Kyokushin guys have been throwing forever. for Taekwondo decades. guys, forever. Yeah. It's the, we, in Taekwondo, we would call it the fake front round yep. kick. So you, and, and basically the idea is that it comes like a front kick and then turns over nowhere and, and the, the opponent has no idea it's going to hit his face and those are the ones that really fuck you up. Yeah. And if you want to see them, like YouTube, Glaube Fatosa. Yes. Yeah, or Francisco Filio. Filio. And that's why they called it the Brazilian kick. That's People exactly nicknamed why. it the Brazilian kick because of those two gentlemen. Exactly why. Those guys were badass Kyokushin fighters that made their way to K1. Yep. They both had that technique down. You know, otherwise known as the upside down kick or yeah. question mark kick. But nice. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Brilliant kick. And yeah. You know, we still don't see the front leg roundhouse kick from Taekwondo style. There's no. a fast Taekwondo front leg roundhouse kick. But the thing about a Taekwondo guy is that if you get really good at Taekwondo, you are going to have to be the kind of guy that can stop and look at it and go, okay, but I suck at all these other yeah. things. Now i got to go get my ass kicked uh, at, at something that I suck at instead of go to the gym and be a hero yeah. now you're going to the gym and you're getting tapped out all the time when you do that lead leg round kick in taekwondo are you switching up or are you throwing no, it off the lead right stance? off the lead leg really you slide in you wow. slide in it's got an amazing amount of power yeah and it's very fast yeah you know and it's, it's almost like a fencer coming forward yeah, thrusting the sword at you just, right because you just, skip on that lead yeah. bang. you know who used to do it but he did it thai style was pele pele yeah. had a very good front leg roundhouse kick yeah his was more Thai style. He put a little more hip to it. And more power, I'm sure, if his landed. But the, the thing about the Taekwondo one was you slide in on it. And yep. as you slide in on it, it's very effective. Yeah. Very quick technique. Yeah. There's just, and like the spinning back kick, I mean, because of a few guys, you know, because of. Um, uh, Dennis Seaver, he's got a wicked one. Yep. You know, a few guys l throw it and are really good at the Charles McCarthy yep. uh, knockout. Uh, that um, uh, shit, I'm blanking on his name. Who? Oh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. No, I'm stuck too. You want to see the best turning back kick, Mike Bernardo. Mike Bernardo. No, sorry, Andy Hug. When he oh, knocked yeah. out Mike Bernardo in the Grand Prix final. Well, Andy Hug had a lot of crazy techniques. Dude, that was to the thigh. And yeah. nobody had ever seen a turn him back to the thigh before. And it was brilliant. So YouTube, Andy Hug versus Mike Bernardo. You'll find it there. K1 Grand Prix you know, final. And a fight that nobody, a man that nobody thought could get to the top of the sport. Because Andy Hug was a big-time Kyokushin legend. Sato Kaikan world champion. And, you know, entered K1 as a, as the smallest fighter ever, pretty much, and one of the lightest fighters ever, couldn't box to save his life at the start. Because, like Taekwondo, Kyokushin never allows face punches yeah. in any of their competitions. And uh, taught himself how to box and persistence and, and became the biggest superstar in, in K1 history. And there's, a, there's and, a, yeah. a bit of controversy behind him because he got really big. He got really physically big. 
and a lot of people are going, okay, like what what's that guy doing? Like that guy just gained a, a fuckload of weight. There was, was a lot of controversy. Only, it also surrounded heavyweights. Yeah, that surrounded Andy's there. death as well. That, yeah. that the leukemia came on so quickly and so mm-hmm. suddenly. There's always that sort of little background rumor. Well, was it because he was on something? Mm-hmm. You know that therefore sped up this process. And, yeah. You gotta wonder, man. Yeah. You know when you're in such a dangerous environment like K1. You know K1 is if you've never seen it, it's I'm a fucking huge fan of it. I mean it, it really is almost more gladiatorial than MMA may in a way because these guys have to fight multiple times a night that's one of the few places where they still do it three fights in one night to win the grand prix you have to fight and you you got to fight three semi shilts three bader haris three remy bonjaski three gokan sakis man it's crazy it's insane that guy's on the up man yeah gokan sakis on the up he's got crazy you want to talk you want to see if you go look gokan saki look and daniel gita he's another one yeah daniel gita with those fucking leg kicks I did this little video clip with him in Japan a couple of years ago and I said to him at the end of the clip, you know, throw a leg kick to my leg. I go, Daniel, just like really, really light. And Daniel's a great guy, one of the nicest guys. Just threw this tip-tap leg kick on me, but I'm like, shit, it hurt for the next three days, man. You know, half the reason I didn't want to take that Bata Hari one over in Holland when I did the voice versus Bata Hari. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people ask me about that. I'm like, well, I was going to take a leg kick off Bata. And dude, his eyes, Joe, (laughs) his eyes, when he lines up a kick, there's a... They change like he becomes possessed. His Whoa. eyes turn shark like black. And I genuinely shit myself. So I'm standing there, standing in front of Bada, and Bada goes to me, Mikey, have you got insurance? And I'm like, Yeah, whatever, man. He goes, No, no, no. Have you got insurance? And then Bada's coach, man, Mike from Mike's gym, is like, Yeah, do you have insurance? And they all start talking Dutch to each other with these like concerned looks for me. I'm saying to my producer, Daryl, what the fuck's going on? What are these guys talking about? Yeah. You know? And the, and the Melvin sort of just gives me this look as if to say, don't do it. Don't take the leg kick. Melvin Manhoof? Manhoof, yeah. Listen, man, when Melvin mm-hmm. Manhoof is telling you it's dangerous, <laughs> Melvin's like, a dude who goes into the, the cage kick. with a dog collar on, <laughs> a guy who looks like a goddamn superhero yeah. in a comic book. And I, I put the pad there and I was ready wow. and then and I just shit myself. Gave it to Mike Passanier and I said, hell, you take the kick. And Holy you can hear shit. the thud, you know, when you watch the show. And But dude, that man, Badari is intense. I love the guy. He's my favorite fighter. But motherfucker is scary, man. His eyes just go black. Just no emotion in there. Yeah, Badari is no joke. Oof, he's, a, he's a terrifying guy. Yeah. He's yeah. one of the all-time, you know, high, highest level guys to ever come out of Holland as well. Scary. Yeah. Scary scary skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, the power that he throws to knock people out. You see his knockout of like Ruslan Karaev where he puts yeah. the nose in that oh. slow motion like through the head. Crazy. Well, we were talking about this before that he does a lot of stuff that they tell you not to do. Yeah. Like he swings full power with every shot sometimes and he leaves himself open because of that. But it's like, it's that Mike's gym do or die style too. Yeah. I mean, Mike I like hypes that. these guys up. I'm still not yeah. sure exactly what Mike says to yeah. those guys. But if you ever watch a Melvin entrance or a Bada Hari yeah. entrance, you know, you see Mike just absolutely skits out of the guy yeah. when they're at the top of the catwalk. Uh-huh. And for some reason, he, he zones them, gets them in the zone. It and fucking it, works, man. man it, it's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. It, it's, uh, it's one of the be- He's one of the best at doing that, about hyping guys up before. I mean, you could tell those guys believe in him, man. That guy's a badass coach. Bro, you still got to go to Holland, by the way. I do. I do have to go to Holland. You still got to go to Holland. I want to go. Come with me one it's day, hard, man. It's a great man. place. With all the traveling I do with the UFC and with comedy, and you know, and it's it's hard, man. It's hard to, to schedule some other time. I'm just hoping that eventually there'll be a UFC in Holland. I mean, I, I think there's some laws against it right now, which is outrageous when you consider yeah. their great history in kickboxing that we talked about. Holland, politicians, don't be stupid. You can make a lot of money and... 
the world needs to see it. You guys are the birth of the greatest form of kickboxing that the world has ever known, in my opinion. Yeah. I think the, the I mean, I, I love the ties, and the ties created Muay Thai, but I believe that the Dutch took it to the next level. Yeah. They took it to another level. Yeah. You know, guys like Rob Kamen, he took it to another level. Ivan you know? Hippolyte, Gilbert yeah. Ballantyne, the yeah. pioneers that went to Thailand and fought and brought this stuff back over to Holland. Yeah. You know, and then, and then took it from there. And when you watch Ramon fight, Ramon Decker's fight, and, and we fought in Thailand. Yeah. He was doing some shit that they were, his hands, you know, that's what the the, the Dutch did. They added much superior hand techniques. Well, this is the thing with the ties. The ties always, and still to this day, start very slowly. The reason being that in, in, in Thailand, they bet on the fights. Uh -huh. So even while the fight starts, they're still taking bets. So traditionally, what the ties would do would be to start very slowly and let the, the bets come in and not turn on the pace until the third round. And still what they do to this day. So still, you know, when you find most Westerners fighting a tie, particularly in Thailand, I always think the best thing to do is just go for their jawline. Straight away, bull rush them, go hell for leather on the tie's jaw. Because usually he's going to start very slow, he's going to sit back with that style, set his pace to the music. And you know, that music picks up in intensity Yeah. as every round goes on. For those that don't know, Muay Thai, traditional Muay Thai, is always accompanied by music. And usually in Thailand, it's a live band ringside. They have an oboe, uh, they have the little cymbals, they have like a fucking thing that looks like a guitar. And they play the music to set their... It's like a metronome. So they set their time to it. And as the rounds go on, the music gets quicker and quicker and quicker. If you've watched Kickboxer, you know, the movie, you'll see it on there, the music in the background. And, uh, you know, the ties always traditionally start very, very slowly. First two rounds can be an absolute fucking cure for insomnia when you're watching Muay Thai if you don't know what you're watching. In the third round, though, these fuckers just turn it up and they start slamming those leg kicks. And they're not big combination fighters. You know, they just measure with these leg kicks and boom, just chop down with the, you know, this arm goes back, which was also one of the big undoings of the ties too because the ties always did the, the chop kicks. Uh -huh. But they throw the kicks so hard, and instead of leaving their hand up here, they chopped down because they knew that there was not much chance that an opponent, because boxing is like the, 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 the lowest scored technique in Muay Thai, they just don't consider boxing very high at all. So they, they don't work on it as much as they do their kicks and their knees and their elbows. So the Thais would traditionally chop their hand down to kick with more power. And a lot of Westerners used to be able to hook them and be able to pick them off because this hand had come down, nothing to cover the side of the face. Whereas now a lot of Western kickboxers you see, and particularly a lot of the Dutch, they'll throw their kick but still manage to keep the forearm up to predict the so face. they they go with less power and they go with something that they could land and exactly better defense exactly and you've seen someone like about a hurry that when an opponent throws a chopping kick and chop with their hands but has got that reach to be able to just go woof, up the mm. center straight right across and just knock guys yeah, out reach is a huge advantage man people don't realize when you see a guy like john jones fighting john jones has got like man what a monster advantage that is like how do you get inside that i mean yeah. you watch yeah, vitali klitschko box yeah, how exactly. the fuck do you get inside that Chad, this way when he fought David Hay, and I was watching it with a mate back home who, who, who's British, you know, and he bet on David Hay, and he's like, nah, Hay's going to be too fast and too slick. And I said to him, bro, there's no way Hay fucking gets inside that jab to land anything of cons consequence on Klitschko. As long as Klitschko's in shape, and yeah. as long as he's in good condition and motivated and has no knee problems so he can move well, your odds are very slim. You got to run in and get that chin really quick. Dude, good luck. You know, 
Alistair over him recently saying he'd, he'd want to box the Klitschko brothers. I'm like, are you fucking serious? I love Alistair, man. One of my favorite fighters, but he is getting owned in a boxing fight against Vitaly Klitschko. Yeah. Owned. Well, well both of them. Yeah. Vladimir as well. Vladimir is uh, the more technical boxer. Just a, Vitaly is thought to be the tougher guy, right? Vlad used to be a, a decent kickboxer back in the day. Yeah, was he? Mm-hmm. They're both uh, assassins and they're both fucking like doctors. Yeah. Right? They're both brilliant men, highly educated. They yep. speak like five different languages. Yeah. Live in Germany. Yeah, they're they're fucking their scores for like their 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 uh, how many people watch their shows? Just their fucking ratings. insane. Their, insane. Their ratings for their fights in Germany yeah. can't be believed. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for them to ever even consider fighting in America. They get seen by like 19 million fucking people over and there. And that's who the Europeans like. An eloquent, technical fighter like yeah. that pulls in the audiences. Going back to Andy Hug, yeah. we were talking about before. Yeah. When Andy used to fight and his broadcast, his, his his fights were broadcast on Swiss TV Live, it would outrate the tennis matches of Martina Hingis and outrate the Swiss uh, national soccer team. I mean, just fucking extraordinary figures that they used to do. And Andy, like the Klitschko's, was well-spoken, clean-cut, yeah. highly educated, could speak three or four languages... And there was nothing to dislike about the guy. I never got to meet him, but I did get to interview him over the phone uh, probably about uh, two years before he died. And just talking to him, he was just just eloquent. Just could just tell a story with, without without a flinch, without an arm on a nerve. It was just tremendous. How, how old was Andy Hug when he died? He was pretty young, right? He was young. was maybe, I can't remember, maybe mid-30s when he died. He wasn't a very big guy either, was he? No, just barely six foot. Barely and he's barely six foot. Couldn't box. When he was fighting in uh, K1, he had to fight at heavyweight, right? Correct. There was only one weight class. Only one weight class, open weight. So he was fighting guys that were bigger than him. You know, Bernardo weighed a lot more than him. And When uh, he first started kickboxing, what was his weight before he went into K1? No, he was, he was very lean when he started. He was like 160 something, Yeah, right? I've seen some old photos of Andy. If you see him in his Kyokushinge and that, very, very lean. And then just you know, put on the size in K1. However, he did it. He did it. And, uh, you know, learned how to box, which was with major undoing, because especially back in those days, you're talking 93, 94, 95, 96, a lot of traditional karate guys weren't cross training Mm -hmm. in boxing like they do these days. Now, so Andy came from strictly a full contact karate background, which, as we said, no face punching. But also, which is why we said why he had such great kicks. Yeah. Because dudes couldn't punch you to the face. You could get really flashy with your yeah. techniques. And Andy's main kick was the axe kick. Yeah. And the axe kick is extraordinary. If, if, if you guys who are listening haven't seen it, you know, it's called the axe kick because it comes down and you're like an axe. The heel's brought down onto the, the collarbone or can brought down onto the forehead. And you wind the leg way up over the opponent and then, down it comes. One of the most brutal knockouts I ever saw in Taekwondo was this guy, Herb Perez, who went mm-hmm. on to win the Olympic gold yeah. medal. And this was at one of the national championships. I believe it was in Ohio back when I was a kid. And I was just just starting to compete on like the national level, and he was the champion. And he axe-kicked this fucking dude. I forget the dude's name, but he was this big, solid African dude. The guy was just like a Czech Congo-looking yeah. character, just... I wish I remembered his name because he was a badass guy as well. Also won the, the title at one point in time. But he hit him with this fucking axe kick that was so fast. Just, yeah. just ba-bam! Yeah. Slammed the heel into his face. And he was the and same, face man. planted. It was like dude. his leg was elasticized. The way he would oh, get up man. to taller opponents. You know, the heel is like one of the hardest bones yeah. in the body. You know, and just... Yeah, that coming down on your, on your collarbone. Yeah. Like, damn, man. It just got to be so unpredictable, yeah. you know? And, you know, and it could be fast because the trajectory for an executor to travel yeah. there's a lot of time for a quick opponent to be able to capitalize on Her Perez was one of those guys that actually thought about getting into MMA and I think if anybody from the Taekwondo world would have been good at MMA it probably would have been him because yeah. I got to see him compete a bunch of times he, he actually he actually knocked out one of my friends 
um, he would knock out a lot of guys, and he would punch a lot of guys too. He he had like a, a different style, like this different real attacking power style of Taekwondo. If he learned like real boxing and learned how to sprawl, he would fuck a lot of guys up because the the speed of his legs that I mean the guys wouldn't have been able to handle those kicks coming at their face. They wouldn't know it would could get there that quick. You know, it's a lot. A lot of it is a timing thing. You know, it's just whether or not a guy like that, those high-level Taekwondo guys, if they want to spend the time and learn all yeah. that other shit yeah. and become an amateur. Yeah. You know, when you get into jiu-jitsu, I don't care if you're her Olympic gold medalist yeah, in Taekwondo. You start as a white belt, yeah. man. Some yeah. purple belt mounts you and starts yeah. choking the fuck out of you every yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> and kick's going to do you any yeah. good. And he goes looking for you. Yeah. And you, you think of yourself as this badass. <laughs> you go to the gym, the purple goes, my friend, you want to play? You want to play? <laughs> Because he wants to choke the fuck out of you like he always does. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's some humbling shit. And a, yeah. a lot of those guys are not willing, which I think is really, really unfortunate because what made a guy like a Herb Perez, not to use him as an example, but when I was a kid, he was like one of my favorite Taekwondo guys to watch. He was like an idol. So I, I bring him up. But what, what made him so great is that, you know, he figured out how to follow through to like the, the highest level of a particular martial art. But the goal is always to be an effective fighter. Yeah. You can say that it's all to compete inside the Taekwondo rule frame. But, man, at the, the root of it, you want to kick some dude's ass. And you, it's hard to accept that you're kicking a guy's ass only because he's not allowed to take you down. Yeah. Because if he was allowed to take you down, well, yeah. then he could just fucking yeah. do that all day, and then your kicks are useless. Yeah. So it's like there's there's a certain aspect of it that a lot of those guys didn't want to accept. You know, they they want to still think that they're this assassin when they are, as long as the rules are very specific. And that's the thing, you know, for, for seven and a half years, I edited the Australian equivalent of Black Belt magazine called Blitz magazine, and. Uh, you know, writing about all the different martial arts and the traditional arts, and we do sequence frames, you know, to show defenses against knife attacks and defenses against boxing and all this sort of stuff. And you look back at it now after the, you know, the, the propagation of mixed martial arts and the popularity of mixed martial arts that exposed so many of the myths. And I flick back through some of the old magazines. I'm like, what the fuck, man? This shit just, <laughs> just would not work. Guys coming out yeah. with a knife and you're going to... Or guys coming out with a club, you're going to do like a fucking X defense and then, you know, spinning hook to the guy. It's like, come on, yeah, man. Yeah, there was some ridiculous <sighs> shit going on. But yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the guys that would believe that shit so much. And this was one of the things that absolutely put me off working for the magazine towards the end was hating having to write about instructors and how humble they were. And you know that they had no ego whatsoever. And these are the same guys that are ringing you up saying, I want to be on the front cover of the magazine. I want a poster of myself inside. I want to buy five pages of advertising. I want to check the story out and make sure the write-up's good. But then you've got to write out humble, you know, <laughs> appreciative they are and bowing and doing it right. for very little money. And it's just like, it's just sort of uh, gave me a very bad taste for some traditional martial artists that, that believe a lot of their, their own hype. That said, though, I'm a big fan of traditional martial arts because I love the aesthetics of it as well. Well, traditional martial arts are much like any sort of school of philosophy where one person knows more than you and they're going to teach you. Yep. You're going to get two different types. You're going to get true masters. And by true masters, I just mean someone who really, truly is a person who has some knowledge and they want to bestow it. And yep. that's the, the life they're living. That's the way they're living. And you're going to get some charlatans. You're going to get a lot of people just like cult leaders. You know, there are, there are people out there that I believe that are legitimate spiritual leaders. And by w what they are is they're a person that's on a road and they're further ahead than you. You know, if the guy's been living at a Buddhist monastery, you know, eating a, a very raw vegan diet, meditating all day for 10 years, 
that's an experience that very, very few people have ever attempted. And if you hung out with that guy or talked to him, I guarantee you, you can pick something up from him. By that same token, there's a lot of charlatan cult mm-hmm. leaders in exactly. martial arts, and there exactly. are so many of them out there that more have, than not, more than not, exactly. Yeah. And the way that the students look up to these guys and put them on a yeah. pedestal, it's like like they're messiahs yeah. almost. And, and it's a shame to see a lot of instructors take advantage of that just for, for yes. monetary gain. Yes. And there's so many of them out there. And you know, I've, I've seen instructors around the world and several stories of instructors who have taken advantage of students you know for sexual purposes and stuff like that just because the the control the seeming mind control they have that they implement in those students it's 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 cultish it's it's crazy man it's really common yeah it's really common like if you look up like scandals and there's always things happening in karate schools because ultimate power corrupts ultimately you know or absolutely or whatever you know it's uh it's it is like being in a cult when you have everybody going yes sir yeah you know you can become some asshole and really believe that shit you know that's the thing that i least liked about taekwondo when i was a child but in all fairness that intense, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. That is what I needed. It disciplines you, man. Yeah. I mean, when I have kids one day, I'd love to get my kids in the traditional yeah. martial yeah. arts just for that discipline, yeah. that rigorous discipline. Not, it's just, it's a, there's levels of respect. Like mm. my Taekwondo school that I, I mean, I, I literally spent my entire life from age 15 till I started doing stand-up comedy. Mm. That's all I did was fight. All I did was Taekwondo and kickboxing and, and Muay Thai towards the end. Muay Thai and kickboxing when I was 22. My last fights were kickboxing. But my whole life was all this Taekwondo yeah. shit. And I would go from this world of very little order, you know, which my life was, to all of a sudden, you know, some guy's fucking screaming at you. And, you know, say, yes, sir. You know, and he's telling you, go. And, and this this whole bowing and this respect thing. And then, and then actually, like, becoming a black belt. Mm. Like, all of that to me was like... This was like, it, 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 it forced me into thinking at a higher level. It forced me into you know, like composing myself, presenting myself on a higher level, that I, I had a higher uh, calling to answer to. The funny thing back then as well, I remember talking to you about this when we did the voice verses, you know, was the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the black belt. How how much people yeah. thought of black belts back then? Mm-hmm. I remember, and I told you this story when still, I was in like, yeah, like when I was twelve years old. I remember at high school, kid come up to me and we we're talking about karate and being a black belt. And he's like, yeah, you know, here in Australia, you're not allowed to be any more than a fifth damn black belt, or you're considered a, a, a lethal weapon. You've got to leave the country. I was like, oh, what? You believe that shit back then? Well, I was you know? in a I was in a plane with Boss Rutan. And uh, we were, we're getting on board, and uh, the woman goes, "Where do I know that guy from?" I go, "That's Boss Rutan." I go, this is a former UFC heavyweight champion, one of the greatest martial artists ever. He's a legend. And she goes, oh, well, my boyfriend is uh, big into that martial mm-hmm. arts. I go, yeah? And she goes, yeah, yeah. He actually had to get his hands registered. <laughs> <laughs> she actually said this, right? So I go over. I'm a fucking asshole. Of course, <laughs> I have to go over and I go, boss, that woman over there said that uh, her boyfriend's a big fan of uh, mixed martial arts and he's such a bad motherfucker he had to get his hands registered and of course you know Boss Root yeah. is like this is not true this is not true I don't do that I don't do that who tells you this he's a liar he's just lies so he, you he, do that so well he was pretty polite about it yeah. but man he couldn't stop doing this fucking guy come on he registers his hands come on 
You know, he's <laughs> I mean, boss, boss rooting is a killer, man. And you, you know, you ignite that spark inside of him with some bullshit. And, you know, especially a guy who's dedicated his entire life to fighting. Nah. You can't do that to boss. Dude, there's he's, some trippers out there, man. Yeah, even some crazy, even people. people that are getting like awarded these dance. There was a guy in Australia and, you know, he was like 45, 46 years old and was a 10th Dan in ninjutsu. A 10th right. Dan fucking ninja. Right. You know, he'd wear all the shit, the fucking, the fucking shit that they wear with shurikens Ugh. and all that sort of stuff. It's like a 10th Dan. You're a 45-year-old 10th Dan white ninja. In Amazing. In ninjutsu. I mean, right? who the fuck is, I mean, is there a real school of ninjutsu? I mean, can you really d directly study ninjutsu? Because wasn't being a ninja being an assassin? It was a secretive, too. <laughs> yeah, there's not some shit they just tell white people. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, what the fuck yeah, is that? What are you actually learning? Hey, we're the fucking claws and the shuriken <laughs> and the fucking katana and all the rest of the shit. That's, <laughs> that's amazing, man. <laughs> what if Ninja 2 has a kata? There was, there was one guy that I was absolutely fascinated. This is before when I was younger. Uh, I, I hadn't developed my, my current strategy of, of using people as science projects. <laughs> There's some people that I'll, I'll like, I decide, well, this guy's my science project. Like, what's this guy doing? This is, this is, I'm going to study him every couple of years <laughs> and tune into him and see what's going on. I didn't realize I was already doing that with this guy. But there was this one guy who was a ninja master, and he was in all these magazines, these black belt magazines. And this guy was completely crazy. This guy was drinking miso soup in the morning and, you know, eating traditional Japanese food all day and then doing his ninja training. <laughs> and, like, he would have all these articles, like, what would a ninja do if <laughs> <laughs> the guy comes at you with a stick. Oh, fuck. You can't fuck with a ninja with a stick. Dude, that's it. Michael Dudikoff was a fucking bomb. How good yeah, was American was Ninja good. back in the 80s, man? I met that guy, too. He was very Dudikoff? nice. Dudikoff? Yeah. Oh, man, that was fucking awesome. Um, you know, the last time I did your show, I did the voice verses, and you and I sat, and we talked about uh, black dudes doing kung fu in the park. <laughs> yeah, dude, a lot of black dudes doing kung fu in the park got very mad at me. Really? Yeah. You know, because I was making fun of, like, what, what they do is, not, there's nothing not saying that hitting someone using kung fu techniques wouldn't be effective. Of course it would be effective. What, what we're saying is this method of training that these guys employ in the park is, is basically a really antiquated old way of developing techniques for martial arts. And what it is is one guy pretends to hit you and then you pretend you get out of the way and then hit him with a bunch of other shit. Mm -hmm. But that stuff doesn't really work because when someone comes in to hit you, they don't just come in and hit you mm -hmm. like that. They want to figure you out. They move. They 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 faint you. But the thing that I didn't understand about that is I, I don't want to rag. My, my point is, but hold yeah. on a second. It's not it's not effective to train that way. No. It's not effective to you step forward. The guy throws a bunch of you know. So the guy's like, yeah, Joe Rogan, how you gonna say that? I'll hit you with a monkey fist in your face and your eyes water, and you tell me that ain't gonna hurt. Uh, no, it will most certainly will hurt. Please don't hit me with a monkey <laughs> paw to the face. That's not what I'm saying. When I make fun of your training, I'm saying that's not the way to do it anymore. It's, it's silly. This, this is about the fight. What you do is a sport. Shut the fuck up, stupid. <laughs> Listen to me. The stuff that works on trained killers is the best stuff. Mm. And any of you crazy kung fu guys that still think you can hang an MMA... Get in there with just kung fu training, and the high-level guys are going to take you down, and they're going to choke the fuck out of you, and they're going to leg kick you, and they're going to blast you. That's just the way it is. You have to train in mixed martial arts to be, to be able to compete with those guys because it's the best style of fighting. And that's exactly right. That's what I was going to say. I mean, 
you look at something like Wing Sun or Wing Chun trapping yeah. hands. There's you know, few, sticky hands. There's a few things about shit that. Shit can be used in self defense yes, and sure. effective if you're in close range. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to rely on just that shit during a mixed martial arts fight right. and try sticky hands against Anderson Silva. True. True. But, you know, if you're in a fucking uh, room where you're getting your coat and some guy's drunk. For sure, you can face, use sticky hands to you, then set up something oh, else. Dude, there's guys, uh-huh. there's some of those guys that can fucking. They can do those yep. chain fists to your face. That shit's real. And this is where Bruce Lee was the innovator yet again because Bruce Lee started in. Wing Chun, which, by the way, was you know you know developed by a nun. Wing Chun actually was invented by a chick. Yeah, yeah, really. Wing Chun was invented by a nun. Oh, you told me this before. Yeah. Explain then, this, though. What, how, what I, I don't know the full history. I just know that a, a woman, a chick, invented uh, Wing Chun, and then of course. You know, most of the great masters of it were, were men. Yip Man was Bruce Lee's teacher, of course. I bet she probably got tired of dudes trying to fuck her. <laughs> right? I'm staying virgin. Yeah, if you're if you're a chick and your your whole style of mm-hmm. fighting is based on staying in one line, I mean that's obviously a chick mm-hmm. that did not want to spread her uh-huh. legs. In, in <laughs> She's back up against the wall. Yeah, very uh-huh. few techniques with the kicks. Yeah, you know, very short little kicks to the, the yeah, bottom of the short leg. Short snapping techniques. That's where yeah. Bruce Lee was smart. You know, he he then realized, okay, Wing Chun gave him his base and all the Shaolin wooden dummy stuff that they practice on, all those trapping hands, and you know. From there, though, he started to cross-train. He was the first real one to, to do it. He was a genius. You know, he was, he he was incredible. way ahead of his time. Yeah. And people, you know, they look at Bruce Lee movies, and they're fun and everything. But the the technique, if you know really about Bruce Lee, the techniques that he used in his movies, he just used because they look cool. Dude, remember like... Uh, he his fighting style of Jeet Kune Do. Is Into really the Dragon, the first effective. time that mixed martial arts was on movies, right? Mm-hmm. When he yeah. fought... Uh, uh, was it... Um, Samo Hung was the guy he fought. Right. Takes him down and arm bars him. Right. Look at the four ounce gloves mm-hmm. on. I was like, yeah. it's fucking mixed martial arts yeah. here in the 70s. We're seeing it on well, the screen. You know who started to train him in grappling, right? Judo. Judo Jean, Jean LaBelle. LaBelle. Yeah. 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 He, you know, I mean, he was into all this different shit. And yeah. If you don't know who Judo Jean LaBelle is, a mixed martial legend. arts legend and just a real great guy, yeah. a real character. But he's also like this bear of a man. You know, he's got these giant hands. And even in his advanced age that he is now, he's still. He's, he's a, a beast. Yeah. He's a fucking beast. Yeah. And back then, my God, back when he was a, a, a U.S. champion judo player, I mean, dude, he was an animal, man. He was a fucking beast. Fucking so a guy like Bruce Lee, mm. who didn't know any grappling, you know, he goes, well, let me show you something here, kid. <laughs> but in the, he's 135 pounds. You get that motherfucker hoisting yeah. you through the air. All that trapping hands is doing nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah, he's going to hit you with the earth. Yeah. You know, judo guys are the scariest guys ever to fight if you're wearing clothes. Mm. Because they just grab a hold of your clothes mm-hmm. and fucking throw you through the air on your head. The thing with judo, and a lot of people underestimate judo as well, which I think is an awesome martial, martial art. And like art. Guy Mezga said to me one day, he goes, brother, he goes, I judo throw you on the carpet, you're going to hospital. I judo throw you on the street, you're going to the fucking morgue. It's I true. thought for me that summed it up perfectly. Yeah. You know, that's that's judo. That's how impressive judo can be done by a good, you know, a good student of it. Oh, yeah. Shit's fucking lethal. Any real high-level wrestling. Yeah. You know, any judo's good, but, you know, if a guy fucking really knows how to wrestle and gets your back and suplexes yeah. you on the canvas, you're fucked. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's anybody who can control your body and then slam you to yeah. the ground. You know, and there's stuff that happens in the UFC fight and it... it the guy survives it and the guy will be okay. Like a perfect example is that Randleman and Fedor fight. Yeah. Where Randleman suplex Fedor right onto his fucking head. Mm-hmm. Luckily for Fedor, this is on a, a padded yeah. floor and, you know, there's like give to the floor. I don't know how givey the floor is in pride, but uh, the UFC has definitely got some give to it. It's changed over the years. Yeah, it's changed over the years. Yeah. Because a lot of times. Like, I mean, Fedor was get- fucked when he got from that, though. 
But he, but he, he, he recovered, him. you know. He's fucking swinging and eventually well, won. He it, caught but, him in a he caught him in a Kimura yeah. shortly after. Yeah. yeah. But what I was gonna say was that if that was on the concrete, yeah, that's oh, yeah, it. You're dead. He's dead. Forget it. You're you're hitting him with the earth. Mm. It's like hitting him with a giant rock that weighs three hundred pounds. There's two of you flying through the air, you know, and you're you're slamming into this earth. Have you ever been in a self defense situation? Not since I was a kid. Really? Not really. You know, once on Fear Factor, some guy got in my face, but it wasn't like I didn't really have to do anything. I just grabbed it. I got him in the tie clinch, yeah. actually. That's what I did to him. I I've only been one. Man. It's like, no, it was like 16 months ago. 16 months ago? Yeah, man. Really? Yeah, I what was happened? out. So we're out and about um, with some friends. We have some coffee. <laughs> we're out and about with some friends, and, uh, you know, Irene and I, and her, her sister, and her, her cousin, and her brother in law, and we're, we're driving back home, and I'm sort of parked at the lights. And this guy's, and this, I just got my brand new car, by the way. And the girls were sitting in the back seat. And it was Irene, her sister, brother-in-law, and her cousin was in the front seat with me. And this guy's just come across the street and just gone, woof, on the window of the car. The girls are fucking freaking out. This guy's just fucking smacked my window, right? And I thought he'd broken something. So I've pulled my car over, gotten out, checked the window. And he's there sort of like being a fucking clown. I'm like, the fuck, man? You're fucking hitting my car. My girlfriend in the back and her sister, fucking chicks in the back. And I started to walk towards him and he ran away. I'm like, fuck this, man. I'm going to get my apology out of this guy. So I chased him. I was just, I just fucking flipped out, man. Wait a minute, I wait hate a minute. fucking you bullies. Him for I an apology? chased him for an apology. I was that fucking angry. Chased wow. him for an apology. Ran up the street and I found him. And he must have been, I don't know what drug he was on. He's sitting in the fucking ground like this, going like this. Back and forth rocking, right? I'm like, dude, what the fuck? You hit my car. You fucking freak out my girlfriend and her sister. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? You're wandering down the street. You could get fucking run over you know you're like concerned for him i was concerned like I, his mom all of a sudden right i'm like dude you get fucked up i'm usually like that Come if on, someone buddy. does something stupid i'm like dude you're gonna fuck yourself up you and get, get hurt run over yeah <laughs> you can run over he bounces up and just starts fucking throwing punches at me oh god and i'm like oh shit here we go all right some blocking for those that don't know i'd studied muay thai for about three and a half years back in australia with mark castanini so the muay thai lessons came flooding back so i'm blocking his punches blocking his punches and um, I remember that Mark had taught me a technique back in the day, which is not a Muay Thai technique, but Mark is a, a, a bouncer for many, many years. And it's actually his stories that my best-selling book, Bouncer, uh, were based on. And he called it a bouncer. You, you had a book called Bouncer? Yeah, my, I've done four books. My first one was really? in 99 called Bouncer, based on real-life nightclub bouncer stories. No shit. And can, can I get it on Amazon? or is it Yeah, available? yeah, you can get it on Amazon. Yeah, try Amazon. Should still be nice. some on Amazon. I had no idea you wrote books. Best-selling books. Oh, that's pretty badass. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, Hey, Mark taught me this choke called the bouncer's choke. Okay. Where basically you just shoot your hand out and wrap the fingers around the, the larynx and just fucking that's squeeze. That's the roadhouse. Right? The roadhouse. The bouncer's choke, <laughs> he called it. So I'm like fucking blocking punches. I thought, fuck, what am I going to do? I'm just going to fucking go for the bouncer's choke. Shot it out and just like, I got him perfectly. Start squeezing his larynx. And as I'm squeezing him, he's like, <laughs> choking. I put him down on the ground and I'm on top of him, still choking him. Right. I'm like, you're going to fucking calm down now. I don't want any trouble. Just fucking calm down and I'll let you go. All with the fucking Jedi Knight trick? Dude, fucking around his larynx. I'm squeezing. I could almost feel my fingers coming together, man. This guy's face started turning blue. What is his blue. defense? Is he trying to get a hand in there? No, no. He's just no on the ground just, just wondering, why the fuck aren't I breathing at the moment? I'm on really? top of you. I'm a heavy guy, so you know? he's not pulling your hands, nothing, no defense? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Terrible technique. Yeah, nothing yeah, at all. Fan. So I weighed a lot more than he did. Okay. I'm not, actually, I won't say a lot more because he's a pretty decent guy, but I maybe had, I'd say I probably had, would have had 12 kilograms on him, let's say. Well, what did you learn from this? There's more. <laughs> There's more. Wait. So he's on the ground. I got, he got, uh, he's trying to nod. So I let him up. I'm like, dude, just fuck off. Enjoy your night. And by this time, Irene and her cousin and her brother-in-law come around the corner. So this guy walks off 
And then I walk off to join them. And then I turn around and he's below a fence and he takes a punch at me and actually caught me because I wasn't expecting it. Grazed me with like a, I think he missed an, his watch or something, grazed me and I had a big graze on my, on my, 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 my uh, forehead. And he's walked off again. And then for some reason he turns around and he's about 20 feet away, just starts going, ah, and takes a run up for me. Takes a fucking run up. And I'm like, oh shit, Irene's standing right behind me. There's no way I want this guy to start punching me. He's, he's on speed, LSD, something he's on. So I'm just thinking, oh. LSD? I don't know what LSD, they're on, giving man. you people in Australia. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck he was on. Comes charging, I set myself, and then right. just uh, I, I, I just front kicked him. Off the rear leg, just boom, to the heart. And he's just like, eh. Folded really? in half, man. Folded in half. So, so he's ran mate, into your front kick. Ran in. I just timed it, just a boom, into his chest. Just like, his two mates came around and helped him off, and, and he was fucked up, man. Wow. Did you learn anything from this? Probably not to chase a guy for an apology next time. Yeah. But, yeah, well, uh, would you really need an apology from, from some I was just in a out? weird mood, man. It's just like, I hate bullies. I cannot stand bullies. You I know? understand that. Bro. I'm not a violent person, and I cannot stand bullies, and it was just... It was, but I think it's very important in any situation, any mm. real live situation like that, to always think throw the, po- the probabilities and possibilities mm-hmm. into the old computer and come out with what's worst case scenario here. Well, worst case scenario could be pretty fucking bad. You could die. You can get stabbed. You could. I've you done could some fall stupid and stuff. Break man. your leg as you're chasing yeah. after him, and then he beats you to death. Yeah. Look, it's not good. No, it's not good. I've done some. Man, I've done some silly. My silliest story ever is not even about martial arts. Do you mind if I tell you a blind date story? I would love it. Okay. So I'm so. We don't fan- have to talk about martial arts. We just. That's, I no, didn't I'm, even plan on it. We just started this way. And we just, you know, that's what it what it became. Let me tell you, so I'm so happy now because like, Irene's like the best woman in the world. And, you know, we're engaged now. I proposed her in Rome like a couple of weeks ago. I'm so thrilled because some of the experiences I had with women in the past, Joe, seriously, let me tell you about this blind date. I never used to go on blind dates. And I used to work on, on radio on a very popular station in Melbourne called Kicks FM. And because I had this nice voice that everyone thinks, I just don't think is that good, but I used to have girls ringing the studio all the time asking me to go out with them. You don't think your voice is good? No, I never liked my voice. But you call yourself The Voice. I don't. I was given that nickname. But you keep it. I keep it. I do. And you it's sort it, of it's stuck. your Twitter name, Shivella yeah, Voice. Yeah, I stuck with it. I stuck with it. It was actually given to me by uh, Andy Raymond on Fox Sports in Australia. Someone was asking nice. me about that on it's Twitter. It's always good to have a nickname. Wish it I is always good. It works. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, cool. This is, this is a cool story. You're going to like this one. It's a bit of a long story, but you'll be entertained. So anyway, these girls used to ring the radio station every day, wanting to go out, wanting to go out, wanting to go out. I'm like, no, no, never. Then this one chick rang up, and her name was Elizabeth, and she had the hottest fucking voice on the phone. Beautiful voice. And, and I thought to myself, fuck, man, I haven't been getting any action lately. I might as well go on a blind date and just see if I can maybe, you know, these chicks is hot and fucking get my, get my dick wet. So <laughs> Elizabeth rang up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Maybe we'll go out. Tell me, what do you look like? She's like, I'm blonde and I've got a beach body and blue eyes. I'm like, all right, cool. We're good. Let's let's hook up. Let's go out. So night comes to go out. My first blind date ever. I drive to her house, which is up in the fucking sticks in the middle of nowhere. I'm thinking to myself, this girl, but if be fucking hot because I'm driving all this way. Pull up at her house, park in the gravel driveway, front door opens and out walks this thing that looked like she should have been living under a fucking bridge, okay? If she had a beach body, it was the body of a fucking beached whale. A blonde, greasy hair, acne on her fucking face. She's wearing this, like, black, shawly sort of dress just draping on her like fucking Morticia, but not thin Morticia. This girl is, like, twice my size, man. She's a fucking beast. Cut to you naked, white as paper, <laughs> bright fluorescent lights, you're boning her, zips popping in your, oh. in your grip. 
fuck, man. 70s music playing. Dude, she do, walked out. I should have put the foot on the gas then and do, gone. Do, do, do. Uh, no, well, no. She walked well, out. And she's in barefoot walking on the gravel driveway, holding stilettos in her hand. I'm like, this mm. fucking dirty bitch with a dirty feet going to get in my car now. She hops in the car and we're driving into town because I booked a sushi restaurant and a movie and then to go to a nightclub that my mate had just opened up. Why didn't you just say, I'll be right back. I forgot something. I was still and I still am so much of a gentleman that I just, I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't bring myself to just drive off on her. So we're driving into town and it was raining. And the reason I can remember it was raining is because I had the windows up. And the reason I remember that is because I'm driving. I'm like, oh, this chick reeked of the worst fucking BO you can imagine. Come on. Imagine, bro, imagine going to the gym for a week and not showering. She fucking reeked. So I'm driving one hand on the wheel. How many years ago is this? This is uh, 2000, 2000, 11 years ago. One hand on the wheel, smelling my other hand to try and get rid of her fucking smell ponging up my car. So I get into town. And I thought, fuck the sushi restaurant. I'm not going to spend money on sushi for this pig. I'm going to take it to TGI Fridays, right? So we go to TJ Fridays and we got the movie we're going to go see. And I hate missing the trailers to movies. So I'm like, fucking Elizabeth, finish your dinner in half an hour. Movie starts at 8.30. We're going to go to the films. Okay. You think a chick's on a date and she's trying to impress you. She'll, she'll get a, a decent dinner, but nothing big. She orders a fucking Brontosaurus burger, baby back ribs, right? And when they brought it to her, you think this fucking pig had never seen food before? She's like, <laughs> scooping shit into her mouth. And I'm just watching, bemuddled, going, what the fuck is this chick doing? Five minutes to go before the movie starts. I'm like, all right, Liz, you're done? You're finished? No, I want dessert, she says. I'm like, all right, fuck. So she orders dessert. This like chocolate turtle thing you get at TGI's like fudge and cream and ice cream and chocolate. She scoffs this thing like she'd never seen a dessert in her life. And trust me, this fucking troll had seen a lot of desserts. She finishes up. I pay the bill. I like it when a chick goes for a purse at least, but fucking she didn't go for a purse. I slam 50 bucks on the table. <laughs> like, you like the gesture? <laughs> the go for the purse gesture. I like the gesture. The gesture I appreciate. We're yeah. going up the escalators to the movies. She's just eating this two-course fucking dinner, right? She grabs my arm. She goes, I want a slushy. I'm like, a what? I want a slushy. Like, what the fuck's a slushy? She doesn't even say it, bro. I swear. Oh, my God, child. She just points to a picture of a Slurpee, we call it in Australia. And she goes, Ugh. points and grunts. So I go to the candy bar. She gets a pop, a, a, a choc top ice cream a big box of fucking uh, popcorn and a Coke Slurpee. Doesn't reach for her money. I get nothing. All right, put 20 bucks in the fucking popcorn counter, sitting in the movies, watching some romantic fucking Julia Roberts film. This bitch is smelling up the cinema. Ugh. She is dipping her ice cream into the popcorn and eating it, right? And then slurping on this fucking Slurpee <sighs> while she's ponging up the cinema. I'm texting my mate on the phone going, dude, there's no way I'm bringing this fucking pig dog to your nightclub I've got to get rid of her see you another time so the movie finishes and she's like oh we're gonna go to your mate's nightclub I'm like yeah nah he's not there tonight it's shot we'll go another time how about I drop you home so driving her home and I'm thinking to myself fuck this fucking animal is gonna go for the goodnight kiss if she goes to the goodnight kiss I'm fucked she'll pin me like fucking Hulk Hogan pin me down and kiss me so I'm like think Michael think how do you get out of the goodnight kiss with this pig and then I started, I thought, hmm, a bit of reverse psychology. So I start talking to her about kissing deliberately. I'm like, what? yeah, I love kissing. Oh, I'm a, I'm a good kisser. It's one of my specialties. When I fucking oh. kiss a chick, I'm like fucking awesome. And she's like getting all juiced up in the car, bro. Right? 
She's getting juiced up in the car and you can see her like, yeah, really, really? I'm like, yeah, I fucking love kissing. I got her all worked up and then I, I go, yeah, but you know, Liz, I was brought up a really good Catholic boy and I was always taught never kiss a girl on the first date. Get to know her for three or four dates and then maybe, you know, kiss her. It's total bullshit, by the way. I'll fuck a girl on the first date right. if I can. Not anymore because I'm engaged in the old days. Right. And then her face just like changed, right? Like, oh, like really disappointed. So get to her house. She still goes in for a kiss on the lips. And I hate it when fucking people do that, by the way. If they're not my girlfriend, I hate people greeting me by a kiss on the lips. She goes for the, a little odd, right? It's odd, man. I've got some female friends that do it, and I'm like, I, I don't like it. She goes for the kiss on the lips. I turn the cheek. She pecks the cheek out of the car, end of the date from hell. Right. But there is right. an epilogue. Okay. Date from hell happened a week out from Valentine's Day. So next weekend comes Valentine's Day on the Saturday. Cut to you, white as paper, <laughs> fluorescent room. Ooh, Ooh. Well, if she had her way, you're not too far off. Because on Sunday, the night after Valentine's, I get a call from her best friend, Wendy. And Wendy's like, hi, Michael, it's Wendy. Oh, my God, you're so romantic. I'm like, oh, am I Wendy? Cool. Thanks. Um, Why? She goes, oh my God, the giant teddy bear and the flowers and the chocolates you sent to Elizabeth for Valentine's Day were so romantic. I'm like, huh? What? She goes, oh, the chocolates and the, and the teddy bear and the flowers. I go, what do you mean, Wendy? Oh, well, I rang Liz yesterday or last night and she couldn't talk and she was all breathy and panty and said she couldn't talk to me because she was in bed with you. I fucking lost the plot. I hung up from Wendy. I rang Liz. I'm like, you fucking beast of a woman. Oh, I go, not only oh, was our dude. date the worst fucking date from hell, which is why I didn't ring you. I go, then I actually felt sorry for you when you sent yourselves, yourself chocolates and a teddy bear and fucking flowers on Valentine's Day because that's a sad, lonely person that does that and tells all her friends. But the moment you insinuate that I'm fucking your ugly ass on Valentine's night and go telling everyone... My brother, this is related directly to you chasing down that dude that knocked on the window. Really? This is all the same. Is yeah, it all the same? You're, you're, you're creating unnecessary conflict in your life. This poor girl is genetically fucked by Thor's <laughs> hammer. So here you are rubbing salt into the wound because her sad ass is pretending to be fucking you. I was sorry for her when she sent herself the gifts, but then you, you got, got around flapping at, your gums look, at your fucking me. At, listen, man, you, you got dealt a couple of aces. Some people get two twos you get, know that's just the way life is get this one though i'll tell you another freaky girl experience from the past chick that i met <laughs> you see <laughs> I got a lot of these you, see you you're getting you're getting in this conflict with, with this woman though unnecessarily this other Same one i met at a chasing club chasing that guy this other this one is, i met at a club this you don't feel but you don't feel bad for that beast the animal the woman yeah you don't feel bad for someone who's just fucked intellectually fucked physically fucked socially no but you know no one pissing off the fuck socially because at least learn to buy a fucking bottle of antiperspirant and stick it under your fucking arms. At least learn knows? the decency to walk to my car with your shoes on. Who knows what life you know? she's led? You know, you, you're stepping into a life that's already in progress and who knows what the fuck has gone How on. How does she call herself a beach body, in? man? Unless she's, she's a fucking beached whale, lost, like I said. Lost person, man. Dude, this other chick, <laughs> this other chick that looked like Catherine Zeta-Jones was fucking hot. So I met her at a nightclub, got her details, and she goes, come over to my house. So she lives out in Broadmeadows, which if someone from Melbourne's listening, Broadmeadows is the wrong end of town to be on. Should have been a warning sign again for me, but it wasn't. Drive out to Broadmeadows, sitting there on, on, her, on her sofa, on her couch, 
I've been watching some Johnny Depp film I'd never seen called Cry Baby. It was her favorite film. You get cocked, talked into watching faggy movies left right? and right, man. And she was hammered when I got there on fucking Jack Daniels and Cokes, right? She was hammered by the time I got there. I had a, a, like two six packs in the kitchen. She was churning through. Sitting there watching this, watching this, 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 it was a video tape actually, watching it. And the first thing I noticed was there's a little coffee table to the side of the, the couch where I was sitting. There was a fucking butcher's knife, brother, that big, just sitting there. There's no meat there, nothing. Just a fucking knife that big. That sort of freaked me out. I'm like, all right. Sitting there watching the movie, and all of a sudden I hear this. A fucking baby crying. I'm like, the fuck was that? She goes, oh, that's my three-month-old daughter. Just a moment, I've got to give her a bottle. I'm like, oh, fuck, this chick's got a three-month-old daughter I didn't know about. All right. She goes in the kitchen. She makes up the, the baby's formula, puts it in the microwave, nukes it, goes back in the baby's room comes back and joins me like 30 seconds later and presses play on the video. Isn't it amazing when you think about how little a person has to know you before you're over their house? Like, you don't even know that she has a baby. That's how limited your interaction has been, and all of a sudden, you're over her house. But this is the thing, though. I usually, it's my journalistic background, ask so many questions, but for some reason, she didn't tell me this, and she goes and gives the kid the bottle, comes back 30 seconds later, I'm like, aren't you going to feed the kid didn't just make the bottle oh yeah don't worry if she gets hungry she'll pick up the bottle and feed herself a three month old with a hot bottle whoa right whoa i'm like okay this chick's fucking freaky oh, by this time i'm totally put off her completely even though she looked like Catherine zeta jones i'm put off when i'm put off that's it i'm put off so the movie ends and she tries to get a little frisky and i'm just like eh, not real i gotta go gotta work tomorrow whatever on the front step, and she's like, she's tanked off her nut. She's drunk by this stage. She's like, no, baby. Drunk with a three-month-old baby. Drunk with a three-month-old with a bottle in its crib, right? Oh. And she's like, baby, baby, don't go yet. Let me show you this party trick. Bro, she takes her top off on her front doorstep. She's got these big-ass tits. Grabs a boob, lifts it up to her mouth, starts licking her nipple in front of me. I'm just like, that's just not working. That's just the whole baby butcher's knife. You're drunk. Johnny Depp licking uh. your big fucking tit. Not working. I leave her. Drive home. Two days later, I'm in a, a business meeting at like midday and she calls. So I let her go through the voicemail. She calls again, calls again, calls again, calls again. Finally leaves a message for me. Bro, I checked the message the next hour after my meeting had finished. The most abusive fucking message you've ever heard. You fucking cunt, you piece of shit, motherfucker. Every swear word you can imagine. You're just like every other man. Never call, never text, this and that. Don't pick up the phone when I call you. This just fucking lost it at me. Yeah, well, that's par for the course. That's par for the course with human beings, though, man. You know, you could say it's chicks. It's because that's who you're dating. Did I actually commit suicide? Dudes, if you were dating dudes, your stories would be even more pathetic. Dude, I had a chick threaten to slit her wrist because I want to take her out. You're a fucking savage. Look at you. That's what it is. You know why? She, she can't was, help herself. She was a bikini model, Whoa. and she thought she was that hot. And she was hot. She texted me photos of herself, but... I was busy at the time. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I've got to go away overseas. Maybe I'll like, you know, we'll hook up in three weeks time. And she cracked the shits that she wasn't high list of my priorities. Send me all these pics of her in a bikini. I'm like, yeah, that's all pretty, but it's not as if I haven't seen fucking models before, dude. Like, relax. You, you stud. Dude, she sat in a bathtub in Port Melbourne, rang me and threatened to slit her wrists. I got to think there's more to the story. No more. I just yeah, kept, no, listen, I just bro, kept there knocking is more, her back. Just not your part. Oh, no, my her part. life is a fucking wreck. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you stepped into a bad situation. She faked having a head tumor just to try and get me to call her back. And then she apologized, uh, said, no, no, it wasn't a head tumor. No. I was lying. Okay. And the next day she sends me a text message saying, my box hurts. Her box. Her box. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, my box hurts. And then tried to tell me she had um, 
cervical cancer. And by this stage, I'm just like, this is really bad. Because I know people that have died from cervical cancer. I'm like, that's just, don't talk stupid fucking shit to try and get you my attention. A, you need a life coach, brother. Dude. All those days are over. This is many moons ago, <laughs> mind you. Yeah, you many say that, but you're ago. still out chasing derelicts for <laughs> punching your window. You need a life coach, bro. Amazing. You. Yeah, it's you're an- ever in a situation like that, call me up. Oh, well. me up. We'll smoke a joint together and we'll talk this through. It sounds good, man. I'll give good. you some advice. Crazy fucking say, bitches out there. I would there. say, go, oh, wow, for real, tumor? Damn, that's not going to stop me from fucking you, is it? <laughs> and she'll say, no, I don't think so. And you go, good. And you come over and fuck the shit out of her. And then she tells you she's Wonder Woman. You go, that's awesome. Oh. I'll call you next week. And then you leave. So the, what you do is, whatever craziness she says, you go, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's fucking crazy. I hope you're okay. Listen, I got to go. I'll call you later. Are we still going to fuck? And then, then she'll say yes, and then you show up and you fuck that crazy bitch, and that's what you do. I'm scared to fuck crazy bitches, then, man. Don't do it. But the crazy ones are often the most fun. Yeah, nah, but My friend Tony always says it best. He said that erotic and psychotic are next to our neighbors. My, my mate picked up a crazy chick in a bar. I think I told you the story last time, and he gave her Mel Meninga finger, and she had... The Melvin Ingram? Oh, Mel Meninga. It's the name of a very famous Australian rugby player. Melman Inga. Mel Meninga. Mel Meninga. So at school, we used to say, oh, I gave this chick a Mel Meninga, three-finger Mel Meninga. So what does that mean? It means he finger of three fingers. Why does he have a name for fingering people? Just because he rhymes with finger, Mel Meninga. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, we go to school. Oh, like Mel Meninga, this girl. A story yeah, where it's like finger another player. No, or my mate Mel Meninga, the girl, and I was and she had scabs inside her pussy. Whoa, what? Yeah. What scabs inside her fucking pussy? I don't know how it's possible. What's she scratching on the so inside? Did that you, scabs? you feel the scabs? No, it wasn't me. It was my mate. He oh, just he just like, okay. dude, I fingered her and the fucking yeah, scabs in her pussy. Might be a liar. Your friend might be full of shit. No, he done some dirty shit. Yeah, but, but then that's pretty see. full on to have scabs inside your pussy. Yeah. Even that if she had seems, scabs on her and fucking it seems like she would flaps, like flinch if you hit those. Like, Ugh. ow, that would fucking hurt, right? Ugh. Dude, you know what you got to find on the internet one day is the World Sex Games or something, right? It was held in like Japan or something. It's the funniest shit. They have a ring, like a boxing ring, and they have uh, couples in each corner. <laughs> and one of the ones was the guy has to stand there and like finger the chick and whichever chick blows the first wins. And there's all these like sex games. There was another one where the, the, there was like a... An, an, an alley like a long jump sort of alley that had measuring parts on it the girls would sit there with their fucking legs spread finger themselves and see who could blow the furthest it's on the internet you've got to find it somewhere Ugh. like world sex olympics or world sex games Ugh. all these crazy fucking asians fingering themselves <laughs> blowing everywhere yeah, see who could well, blow that, the furthest that whole squirting thing I just that is <laughs> fucking foul mm. I don't understand the appeal of that you know, even if it's not piss it's suspect it's at least I, that's twenty percent piss for sure. It's, I mean, it has I to be right. Where else are going to get the fucking juice from? Where the fuck is that coming? What is that stuff? It's salty and, and people, fucking... <laughs> I don't want to know what it tastes like. Oh, I don't, don't want to experience it, dude. I fingered this girl once, and I couldn't get the smell of her bad smelling poon off my hands for like a week. Only once, dude. Once that you, was all it took. Lived a clean life, lad. Once, and I ended up with spots on my finger, and I'm ringing my mate going, "What the fuck has this chick done to me? I've got spots on my finger, and I can't get the smell off it." I washed and scrubbed that fucker, and just. I had what I had uh, one of my first girlfriends ever had a stank box. It was Ugh. a disaster. What do you do, man? How do you go down? Disaster. How do you fucking eat out a girl with a stinky box? Tough, tough. But when you're 17, your dick is so hard. That's true. It's just carbon fiber <laughs> cock. Your, your dick just it doesn't give a fuck. Your dick is willing to just you could you could have a dead squirrel in your mouth and your dick would still be hard. What's worse though, if a chick has the fucking rotten box or 
like a Hungarian chick I've been out with once has labia that like fucking curtains. You got to fucking oh, I don't mind that. I like real the fucking like flappy big, labs, big juicy pussy lips. Damn Doesn't bother man. me at all. Damn, I don't give a fuck. That feels good. That's like a big grippy pussy. Dude, <laughs> big strong box, man. Milk your, Speaking of lips, I went to this Polish cock. girl that looked like uh, Natalie Portman. She was fucking hot, and she's known amongst my friends when I tell this story of being bottom lip kisser. This chick would only kiss with her bottom lip. Okay. Dude, no top lip, no tongue. Just a Long bottom lip. sucks dick with both of them. <laughs> bottom you know lip. Come on, son. I, I, I broke up with her because I, after six weeks of going out with her, I'm getting with her lip in the car. Comes I'm getting with her. I'm getting with her lip. We passion in the car. Passion's an Australian word for kissing. Right. Did you ever out. ask her to kiss with the upper lip as well? Yeah. I said, her name was Liz too. I got a thing with weird Liz's. I'm like, Liz, why don't you ever kiss like with your top lip or your tongue? Right. And she's just like, well, that's just the way I kiss. If you don't like it, then don't kiss me. And she was fucking hot. I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'll kiss her anyway. Yeah, but she was a put a chicken check when they talk like that, Mike. This yeah, nah. Say. She in was a moment. The girl says something like that and go, listen. You seem like you're in a bad mood, so I'm going to send you home, and you take care, and I'll call you later. Dude, where were you on my shoulder when they could have been me? Because that's the reason I dumped her eventually. After six weeks, we're making out in the car. I lean over to put a hand on her tit. On top of her clothes, she's like, no, I want it to be special. Mm. The fuck? After six weeks, I can't even get a fucking tit. This is all shit that happened to me when I was in high school. It's true about Australia. Like, you guys, like, catch on late. Like, things happen later for you. I was a late bloomer, man. I was the biggest fucking nerd when I was young. It took me so long. When did you first get your first slice of pie? Fuck, man. My first... You know what? My first kiss was at 16. My first slice of pie was not until like 21. God damn, With son. a French Mauritian girl that I was dating who was like I thought you were going to say a time. French Marine. French Marine. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this could French be Mauritian girl named Annick. She was hot yeah. too. Yeah. But uh, man, I was a late bloomer, but I made up for it in due time. Listen, man, you're always going to run into weird people if you're yeah. trying to date because you're going to go and run into weird people who just randomly try to make friends. You know, the problem is people are so horny that they're not that particular about who they stick their penis inside no. of. That's why you wind up with so many fucked up situations. So you know the thing that shits me, and maybe you can relate to this as well, is that I used, when I used to date chicks and I got chicks and there was like chicks that I used to like that didn't like me back then. But recently, because my profile's gone up, you know, working on TV and people are mm-hmm. seeing my face on TV and stuff, those chicks like send you a message out of nowhere, find you on Facebook or find you on Twitter or, you know, they suddenly have your number back in their phone. They're like texting you, you know, let's go out. How you doing? Been thinking about you. It's like, the fuck, man? Only because you've seen me on TV or something, you come fucking squirming you back. You should take advantage of that and just stuff your cock in your mouth. <laughs> I don't know what you're complaining about. It sounds to me like they're throwing some pussy away and you're all indignant about it. Uh, yeah. I used to be very selective about my, uh, about my pussy selections, man. You need a life coach. I'm telling you. I can help you. Dude, did I ever, tell you, that, my services. Did I ever tell you what happened in Vegas the first time I went there at Ray... Actually, Ray Sefo doesn't even know this story. I can't believe I'm about to tell it now. If Ray listens, you'll kill me. So well, was, then don't tell it. I'll tell it. Fuck don't it. Don't throw Ray under the bus. No, no. Ray wasn't there. Oh, it was okay. I was using Ray's house. Oh, I was in Vegas for the first time ever. This is like going back in 2006 or 2007 for K1. And after the show, we'd stayed at Bellagio for K1. And then I stayed at Ray's for a few nights. But he was going to Japan. So I had a whole house to myself. And I met this this girl at, uh, at, at Caesars. Beautiful black girl, man. She looked a bit like Janet Jackson-ish. Sort of really hot. And um, I had her number. And I thought, oh, I'll give her a call and see what she's doing. Ray had a big fucking house in Vegas with a jacuzzi out there. And I'm like, yeah, this will be impressive. So I ring this girl and she's like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm not doing anything. I'll come over with my cousin. Is that okay? And I'm like, sweet, come over. Got a whole house, fridge stocked of alcohol, fucking fridge full of food. Come on over. So she comes over with her cousin and her cousin's cracking hot as well. I'm like, oh, this is too good to be true. And she goes to me, um, 
do you smoke? I'm like, no, not, not really. And she goes, do you want to have like a puff in the jacuzzi? I'm like, oh, fuck it. She's, She's like, like weed. She's talking about weed. Weed, right? And I go, okay, cool. She goes, do you smoke blunt? And I don't know what blunt was. I go, no, I don't know what blunt is. I go, what's blunt? Is it like marijuana? She started describing the fucking process, whatever, to me. But she got like a cigar that was that big and somehow sliced it with a razor blade and hollowed it out and stuffed all this blunt in there. So we go into the... Well, what it is, is is two different ways. Okay. So in England, a lot of times they'll even roll their joints with uh, tobacco in it. They'll roll like cigarette tobacco. And that's how they do it together. in Australia too. They do that. To make it bit. burn longer. Yeah, but burn no, out. don't do that. It's terrible for you. and It ruins the whole thing. And then the other way is the blunt. There's two ways of doing that. Sometimes with tobacco inside of it, but most of the time not. But using the tobacco leaf, which is the uh, cigar yeah. uh, case. You know, the difference between cigars and joints or cigarettes is that if you uh, smoke a cigar, the you are actually there's a, a an actual leaf that's covering it. The whole thing that you're smoking is pure plant matter. You know, and a, a good cigar, especially like they're prized for their leaf and their wrapper. You know, it's a special plant that they grow just particularly for that purpose. Well, you know, when you inhale it though, you don't inhale a, a cigar. When you smoke a cigar, you take a breath, you keep it in your mouth, and then you blow it out and you taste it, mm. and you get a buzz from the nicotine. But you inhale weed. So when they roll these blunts, they're inhaling this deep, heavy tobacco So smoke. is blunt the type of weed or just the way you roll it's it? It's the way you roll it. Oh, like I thought it was a type of weed. No, no, okay. no. It's the way you roll it. Okay, gotcha. So she, well, she called it so a blunt. she rolled the blunt. Yeah, she, but so she put it in a cigar. Tobacco, yeah. So okay. It's tobacco and weed together because of the tobacco leaf. That's okay. what's going on. She puts in this big-ass cigar. We go out to the jacuzzi. I'm like, this is fucking mad. There's two hot chicks either side of me in the jacuzzi. It's like 9 o'clock Cut at night. Cut to you naked, <laughs> white like paper. It's getting there. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I take two puffs on this thing and, dude, I'm oh, fucked. My, my mind felt like it was just floating over there. Yeah. And I'm like, this is fucked me up. I'm going to go back inside. Go back inside. I'm walking. I can feel my body walking, but my mind's like... Wandering off into another right. realm, you know. I plonk down on Ray's big chair um, there, and the girls come in like you know twenty five minutes later, and they're drying off. And um, the cousin starts to sit on my lap and mess around a little oh, bit. Shit, yeah, son. right. Aggressive cousin. And then the other girls just helping herself in the fridge, eating, having some drinks, whatever. Cousins all over me. I'm like, this is cool. Still off my fucking brain. And she goes, "Oh, do you want to go upstairs?" I'm like, "Sweet." All oh, right. so then you're upstairs, and the other one robs you, robs Ray's house upstairs. Into Ray's bedroom, and Ray's bedroom was like fucking. He had this bed with posts like a jungle fucking bed. It was huge, man. Pimp. Ray's wardrobe was like the size of this room. Fucking huge. So lying down on the bed, getting naked, you know, blah, 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 mucking around a bit. Ray's got one of his world title belts near the bed. Right. She's like, Do you like being spanked? I'm off my nut. I'm like, Whatever. Ray Sefo's world title belt. She gets Ray's world title belt, turns me over, and starts whacking me on the ass. Whoa, <laughs> with his whoa, world title belt. Whoa, you seen whoa, those kickboxing whoa, world title belts? Whoa, those things are fucking heavy, whoa, man. Whoa, whoa, yeah. Again, you need your life coach. <laughs> you call me up. Hey, John, I'm at Ray Seppo. <laughs> K1 I'm being world spanked with a world house. heavyweight champion yeah, belt. And this bitch wants to hit me with his belt. What do I do? You say no. The she fuck are you hit talking me about? So then I turn back over. I'm... I just want to fuck her by now. And she's like on top of me. fucking her. She's talking too much. She goes to me, baby, have you got what I need? I'm like, oh yeah, it's in the bathroom. Just go get a condom out of my toiletries bag in the bathroom. And cool. She goes, no, baby, have you got what I need? I'm like, yes, the fucking rubbers in the bathroom. Go grab one. I'm ready. I fucking got what you need right here. She needs cocaine. She goes, no, baby. You see, my car's in the pound and it's going to cost $400 to get it out. And I'm really strapped for cash. 
dude, I sobered up in a hurry. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, are you a fucking hooker? Oh, baby, don't be like that. I just need the money for my car. And I'm like, are you a fucking hooker? And she, like, admitted to it. I fucking grabbed her, threw her off I me. I wonder how many girls rocked the hooker world that way. Dude, like ran downstairs. Because then that picture to my mom think this other one's cleaning out Ray's house. Ray's got all this fucking yeah. cool shit. And she was just sitting on the sofa eating fucking, eating and drinking. I grabbed her, grabbed her cousin, threw them out the fucking front door. You should have went with the cousin. <laughs> Always go with the cousin. If she's the one who 460 bucks later. Fuck, yeah. man. So do you think that that's how she rocks it all the time? She just shows up at guys' houses and just asks them for money when she gets them horny? Yeah, I think so. Because I was, man, money? I was ready to go. It's and a then, good way to get killed. Yeah, it is a good way to get killed. Yeah, I, was, I, was just, I was ropeable, man. I grabbed I, her, grabbed her girlfriend, and, uh, and like, ow. Again, think about how quickly you get intimate with someone that you don't even know yeah. and how crazy that is yeah. you know i mean it's like that's the weirdest thing about dating is how quickly people are willing to get intimate with complete total strangers yeah. the, the lady with the three-month-old baby lets you in the house you don't even know this fucking brought out a mm -hmm. baby and you're already alone with her and she's licking her tits mm -hmm. you know it's like with if, a knife yeah if you had to uh, make friends the way you try to get laid like if it was like really important <laughs> like you needed a friend every couple of days you know I mean Jesus Christ you, your friendships would be fucking chaotic they'd be crazy you know if we needed friendship as much as we need sex which by the way is, is real possible you know yeah. Have you ever dumped a friend like you would dump a girlfriend yes you have dumped, like absolutely. done a friend dump yeah of a guy not a many girl many times yeah of a yeah. dude yep Yeah. what did you say to him can't hang out with you anymore just negative straight up yeah there's some dudes that um you will uh you will have good times with in the beginning but then somewhere along the line as you get to know them better their their character flaws are expo exposed yeah. and they're not willing to be honest about it so then every time you're hanging around with that person it becomes a problem it becomes all around that person it becomes this person's character flaw that everybody has to like sort of deal with yeah whether it's jealousy or whether it's being overly aggressive whether it's being dicky to women yeah whatever the fuck it is yeah you know there's there's certain dudes that are not willing to look at reality and they're not willing to evolve. And the real problem is if you surround yourself with someone like that, that all your evolution stops as well as theirs. All your progress as a human being stops as does theirs. So when you're out with them, man, if they're acting cunty and douchey, you're, you're locked into this cunty douchey life. You know, this is, this is your, your crew. This is who you're hanging out with, man. And if you don't surround yourself with like-minded people, you don't grow together. So when you're with someone that you feel like is a roadblock to your own personal enlightenment, it's important for you to separate yourself from that person. Did you ever hear from this guy again? And yeah, when you sure did, I'm is it like the awkward ex-girlfriend It's been calling? a few times. It's a few different guys. It's not just really? one. Yeah, a bunch of different guys over the years. You know, it's just people just, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm look, I'm a very good and loyal friend. And um, I, I pride myself on, on keeping good and loyal friends and you know and and making them appreciate mm. uh, or making them realize how much i appreciate them and making them you know i think friendships are one of the most important things you could foster in this world you know to to, to be able to be able to you know hook up with people that are interested like one of the most beautiful things about this podcast has been the fact that i've exposed a lot of people to the friends that i've yeah. cultivated my friend brian callen and duncan and all these really brilliant people that I know that are really interesting cats. And I mean, that's my, my proudest achievement in life is surrounding myself with an interesting group of friends. And I shouldn't say proudest, but most, most satisfying, yeah. you know, that I'm, wow, this is amazing. I have such, I'm so lucky to have such cool friends. Yeah. The only way you can have that is if you cull, 
Yeah. You have to get rid of ones that don't keep up because yeah. not everybody keeps up. Just yeah. like not every girl. Like you have this great girl in Irene, mm. but look how many cunts you had to go through to get to her. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just the way it is with friends yeah. as well. It's the same thing. You 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 will appreciate people that have their shit together when yeah. you deal with enough people that don't. And at a certain point in time, some people are just not willing to take personal responsibility and grow. And when you run into those people, you gotta you gotta separate from them because they're roadblocks. They become problems. There's there's no growing, and it all becomes dealing with them and their issues. And as you get older, you realize, don't you? You, you see how many friends you had when you were young, and as you get older, you cull it and cull it yeah. and cull it. And dude, I've got like five friends that I keep really close, like mm -hmm. my inner circle yeah. that know shit about me. Then everyone else is a big fucking perimeter yeah. around that inner circle, you know. It's and, and sorry, but the more you travel as well, and you're away from home and away from those friends, you you realize how much you love them sure. and how much you do need them in your life yeah. and close to you and giving that love to you and that positive energy to mm -hmm. you so that you can survive in your own life yeah you know well you you grow together you know human beings if like i always say of 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 you know my my closest friends that like my friend brian Callen is a perfect example like if brian considers something and he brings it to me and tells me about it i know that it's going to be well thought out and i know that i can consider it almost as as if it's my own thoughts. Yeah. Like I can appreciate his experiences and his interpretations of his experiences so much. I can I can trust in them so much that I trust in them almost as much as I would trust in my right. own. Because the genuine friends that you yeah. know have no personal agenda that right, the advice right, they right, give right. you or they recommend is going to be solely for your own benefit and nothing to do well, with so, them trying at to, least to gain from it. Solely honest. Yeah, exactly. Because like, there's folks that you talk to where you, you don't get that, man. You don't get the honesty. You get this weird amalgamation of the truth and fiction because they don't want to come off looking yeah. like a loser or they don't want to come off looking like an asshole when in fact maybe you know some more shit was their fault and you're not getting the full version of it and they want you to back them up yeah. you know if you're my friend you'd back me up like no if i was your friend i would tell you when you're being a douchebag yeah. you yeah. know that idea that you know a friend has to only be positive you know all the time when you're being negative they can't be honest about it yeah it's a it's a, a real problem that people have fostering good friendships and good relationships and you know that's one of the the happiest things that I've been able to do with this podcast I've talked to so many people that we've met you know all over the country that don't have people that are thinking like this around them so they're not exposed to uh, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in their neighborhood or in yeah. their community in their in their circle their social circle you know and you you gotta find people like this. You got you gotta you gotta find people that you can trust and and hang out with because they're out there. Yeah, you they're know? out there. You can you could have a bunch of negative cunt friends yeah. and just think that all your friends and all the people that you're ever gonna meet are negative cunts, and then all of a sudden you'll just find some oasis yeah. of nice people. And if you're not a negative cunt and those people like you, then all of a sudden your life immeasurably gets better. Yeah. If your friendships are good, your life is immeasurably better. Yeah. That's why I always tell people in bad relationships and bad friendships, just fucking get out. Yeah. If you're confident that it's not you, if you're a nice person, if you're, you're then just get out. Dude, I've seen some people stick around in marriages oh, and relationships oh, where it's oh. fucking abuse, yelling matches every night. You know, it's like, how the fuck do oh, you stay man. there? And there's some people that will tell you that if you don't yell, you don't love. No. Which is hilarious. That's bullshit, man. I, I've never yelled at Irene. You yeah. know, we've never had a yellow match. We might have disagreements, but they're fucking over in 30 seconds and they get nasty. No yelling matches. Just like, why would you? Yelling matches usually come, I think, in relationships where someone is trying to point score on their partner and get the upper hand. And I always think to myself, Joe, if you love someone, why the fuck would you want to try and point score on them?
You know, it's all it's all in how you're getting raised. I think yeah. a lot of it, a lot of it is people growing up with horrible, horrible relationships. And sometimes people grow up in horrible relationships, and it actually makes them better at relationships because they realize, well, fuck, I don't want to be like my mom and dad. Yeah, you know, I'm not into fighting. So you know, I've met girls that they, their parents fought like crazy, so they were like really cool and calm. Yeah, you know, because they had seen so much stupid shit. And men the same way. It's like. You know, the the real reality of relationships is the idea of finding one human being and you've lived 30 plus years of <laughs> programming and mm -hmm. changing your personality and molding to your environment and adapting to all the shit that you see in your world. And then out of nowhere, you introduce some new player and you got to decipher like the fucking Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. You got to go back and figure out where all this comes from. Where's this? Where's this attitude? Why is that attitude? And why? Why does she get indignant when I don't open her car door? Yeah. Like, where? What is the root of this? And you know, how much does she really believe in this God thing? Yeah. And, you know, and you, you know. But then you also sort of think to yourself, like you said, meeting that person. You think to yourself, okay, there's six billion people in the world. Let's call four, three and a half billion of them women, mm. and you're trying to meet this one, and you're trying to meet this one pretty much within what a 20 kilometer radius of your house because you're not trying to meet yeah. her interstate or another city or 20 kilometers what is that in miles i have not 50 Look, let's even call it 20 miles of your house 30 right. miles of your right. house you know in your in your ratio of where you go out to your right. your perimeter circumference you of where you head out too much you know you don't have to go out too much you you're tr pussy close <laughs> exactly and that's a right. minuscule yeah like the betting odds on that must be insane of finding that person are you kidding? You know, in Los Angeles, there's so many fucking people. You know, it's not going to be the perfect... I mean, you know, what is the perfect person? You know, it's like everybody's got their own different version of what the fuck that is. But the reality with most people is they don't like themselves. Mm. So they're going to be a shitty relationship no matter what. Mm. No matter who they get hooked up with, they're going to be self-defeating and self-sabotaging. That's the majority of people, especially people struggling. Yeah. Especially people that aren't happy with their, their art or their career or their chosen profession or whatever the fuck it is they're pursuing and they're in some state of turmoil where they're trying to accomplish some things. There's a lot of people out there unhappy with themselves, man. Fuck and yeah. they're not going to be happy no matter who the fuck they're with. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna get comfortable with anybody and start being dicky with them because they're dicky with themselves. And then like you said, they're the people you don't want to be around because their yeah. negative energy is yep. just fucking intense, man. You know how you were saying before about the friends and how your close friends, sometimes their thoughts are like similar to your thoughts. Yes. Do you believe in stuff like... Um, if you ever research Edgar Casey, you know, who could apparently mm. medically treat people by apparently being able to tap into the worldwide consciousness of everyone and pluck any information he needed from any mind in the world to be able to diagnose someone. I've heard pro and con for Edgar Casey. Yeah. My, my friend Eddie is a big proponent of Edgar Casey, but he's also like big into UFOs and a mm -hmm. lot of, he loves sexy things. Mm -hmm. He loves ghosts and <laughs> spirits and channelers and yeah. he, he loves all that stuff. Me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a cautious optimist. And so I think it's it's interesting to me that there could be a possibility of some person who has some incredible extrasensory perception to the point where they can read your future or your past or find out things about you. But I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. And I'm also not convinced that people are being objective about their accounts because I know, like many other things, people want to believe that shit works. Mm. 
Here's an example. There was a stupid fucking thing going around where people were wearing these holograms oh, on a rubber band. Yeah. And one of the guys that was selling it uh, came to Vegas. And God, man, all these really uh, talented athletes were swearing by this, man. It was kind yeah. of crazy. I was watching this mass hypnosis. I mean, fucking Shane Carwin was telling me how great they were. Yeah, it really, really helped me. This, I'm like, dude, you're a goddamn engineer. You really think this chip of plastic and a rubber <laughs> band around your fucking wrist? It's a total placebo. The mind convinces right? itself that it's I mean, it really Whereas does you're work. actually drawing this positive yes. energy to sure. you. Sure, just like religion, man. Yeah. If you really do believe that you're 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 fucking God soldier mm-hmm. and you're out there doing God, you really truly believe that, man. You will be better. You will draw positive yeah. energy. Yeah. If you believe that praying to God brings you what you want in life, what yeah. you're really doing is just transmitting your positive thoughts, your positive exactly. energy. I want it's this. I'm drawing this to me. I've got to yeah. manifest this in my life. Yeah. I mean, you know? it really does work. Yeah. yeah. But so anyway, so these guys are selling them in Vegas and they're doing these carnival tricks to sell them. The guy's like, okay, straighten your arm out. All right, now I'm going to give you the bracelet. Now straighten your arm out. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you don't think I understand leverage? You move yeah. your arm. You're in a different position now. This is like, and I'm, this, this is working on MMA guys, yeah. man. This is, people want to believe bullshit is my point. This is 2011 and these crazy people are still wearing these goddamn rubber braces with these holograms But also on in the life we live in, the society we live in, people are always looking to get that upper hand. They're yes. looking to get that slight edge. And yes. wow, if this bracelet can give me that slight edge over on my mm-hmm. opponent, sure. that slight edge in my work, then they want to believe that the bracelet's going to give them that edge. Of course. And they, 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 give, them ed- that they give themselves that yeah. edge naturally by their self-belief. Yep. yep. You know? Okay, fine if the bracelet helped you do it, but the bracelet, like you said, itself does not have any magical power. Isn't well, it was the same in Australia. There was a newspaper article that came out exposing those bracelets as fraud. It's horse. Yeah. It's total, complete, yeah. uh, utter horseshit. Yeah. It's thievery. These people are liars. It's, it's really simple. They really believe that a goddamn piece of plastic is going to change your magnetic frequency. Shut the fuck up, mm-hmm. okay? You know, I, 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 I ain't hating. I don't want you arrested. You know, you made your money. Congratulations. But it's craziness. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people want to believe in it. And it's interesting to me that people are so anti-performance-enhancing drugs, mm-hmm. yet they'll wear a rubber band with a fucking hologram mm-hmm. on it. You know, like it's going to reprogram your system. Like, wait a minute, man. What, what, are, what, are, what are you doing there? That's not natural. Is that that's okay? Yeah. What, if the, what if that hologram made you Superman? Would that, <clears throat> you know, would people still be complaining about it? What if the hologram, you put it on, and all of a sudden you're jumping over treetops? Yeah. You know, I mean, would you say now we have to take it off? It's yeah. too good. It's performance enhancing. Is it draw the line? Well, it's drugs if, or it's, what? if it works at all, it's mm. performance enhancing. Mm-hmm. If it works at all, it's yeah. not natural. Yeah. yeah, It's so strange what arbitrary line in the sand we draw as to what is a vitamin, what is an athletic supplement, mm-hmm. and what is performance enhancing. Mm-hmm. At what level does it get? Because there's all that shit is performance enhancing. Goddamn vitamins are performance well, enhancing. You take a headache tablet because you got a headache before a fight. It's performance enhancing. It's going to enhance your performance. <clears throat> you know, anything yeah. can be. Can Restricted as performance enhancing, so it's, it's vitamins are. Yeah, I mean, if you're you're eating regular food and you're getting yeah. a certain amount of nutrients from food, and then on top of that, you're force feeding yourself massive doses of vitamins, mm-hmm. B12 and fucking. Guess what? You're you're that's performance enhancing. Mm-hmm. I completely think it should be legal, and I think it's very healthy for you, and it's very beneficial for your body. And I'm not necessarily saying that athletes shouldn't take it. I'm saying what line? Where does that line get drawn? You know? so what do you think about here's a perfect example and I wanted to talk to you about this coming on the show what do you because you don't have an, a, a horse in this game what do you think about this whole testosterone replacement therapy thing like this what's going on with Nate Marquardt and all these other fighters that's a, a tricky little thing isn't it Man, it's difficult you know you get a, you, if you've got a testosterone depletion in your body and you need to take the drugs to, to boost your levels up to that of a, uh, a normal person or that of the person you're competing against 
Listen, though, um, yeah. Keith Kaiser, who I've had my problems with in the past, the head of the Nevada State mm. Athletic Commission, took a very strong stance on this, and I support him. And one of the reasons why I support him is he won't allow testosterone replacement therapy for people who have tested positive for steroids before. Mm. And you know why? Because people that test positive for steroids, you ruin your fucking body when you take steroids, and your nuts don't work anymore. Hey, and that's what's going on. Atrophy, right? Right, right. I and the, and if you're cheeky, it for, becomes like a dick. And I, I see his argument uh. in that there shouldn't be, uh, as far as you want to compete as an athlete, when you've ruined your body from cheating. Mm. You know, there is, there is, there's a, a strong moral statement to be made there that I do see that point. I'm not necessarily sure that I yeah. agree with it because I think you should be allowed to make mistakes in the past and I know how much performance enhancing effect a cycle that you did six years ago mm -hmm. is going to have on today and it's nothing. You might have damaged your body but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to stand up as an athlete and perform but I think you probably should have to do some sort of public relationship explaining and maybe perhaps you know letting people know hey please don't do steroids because yeah. my balls don't work anymore you know what i mean you yeah. want to you want to compete as an athlete and they should be much more stringent in your testing with oh. your testing they got to watch you all year round they can't just because guys will get super juiced and then they level off right before they, they get on the cycle scale. and then they you know they they, they hide it there's, yeah. there's masking factors you can use to hide it the way you can't yeah. beat it i believe i'm not sure maybe someone can tell us is blood testing you blood, blood testing, test guys you can you can even detect human growth hormone which they're not doing mm -hmm. um in nevada they're not doing blood testing blood doing testing is the way testing. around a lot of this and they recently got mm -hmm. uh criticized by some anti-doping you know something organization was talking about what the nevada state athletic commission is doing they're saying there's two reasons why their their system is very ineffective you know and then they're doing their best but the two reasons are one they're doing just urine yeah. testing which just doesn't show it's enough easiest thing to treat man i've heard so many stories of so many fighters and now they've cheated urine tests well, how about dudes who show up with non-human piss like kevin randleman had some yeah. non-human exactly piss. guys like got some possum piss <laughs> guys in japan that have used fake penises yeah so you know the, the america commission guy standing next to them here yeah. in america yeah. and they got a fake fucking plastic dick yeah. Yeah, that yeah, actually yeah. has someone else's piss in it so well, they're squeezing out yeah. of the dick someone else's piss that's clean, obviously. Yeah, it's a urine and wizardator, I think. It's not like the commission's going to go and touch their dick and check it's for real, you know? Yeah, it's like, you looks never, like it looks like hard. a penis. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to figure out. Yeah. So they have to stand, like, right over you. So I guess these guys have to just get that pissing with the fake dick down. Mm -hmm. They got to get really good at it, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. But there's ways that people mask it. If a guy's not shy, though, you can go, let me see your dick. Let me see it. Let me, <laughs> let me touch it. I'm going to have to touch Pull your dick. Pull the back. Mm, okay. That's a fake dick. That's a fake dick. Pull on, I'm gonna pull on it real quick. No, don't pull on it. Pull on it, it just comes on. We're getting shaken it in front of him like a jellyfish. You motherfucker, this is a fake dick. How prevalent do you think growth is in the sport? Huge. Man? I think it's so huge. Too. And uh, you know, there's been a few controversies. There was a, a you know, well, I shouldn't talk about that, but. Look, the, he, here's the, the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Anything that helps you, anything that makes your body perform better, for sure someone who's living is stepping into a goddamn cage and throwing their bones at somebody. And the only exceptions are going to be someone who's an elite athlete who doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of guys who don't need anything. Young guys who are recovering at a, at a high level still, and they don't need it. They're just high nutrition and, and taking care of their body. But... Older athletes, man, when you get into guys, you know, that are in their late 30s and, mm. and for like, you see a guy like Bernard Hopkins, mm. like, I am not going to cast any speculation as to what Bernard Hopkins is taking or not taking. I'm a Bernard Hopkins fan. I'm mm. a fan of his technique, of his heart as a boxer. But that said, isn't he like 46 years old? 
46, and he just beat Pascal, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the, the, the light heavyweight belt, right? Was it light heavyweight he fought at? Yeah, the, the thing that other people don't realize, too, is that guys aren't taking growth hormone just to get big. That's what the common perception is, just want to get no. big and get strong. It's recovery. So, recovery time for their yeah. body. And there's a lot of singers that take it, too. I know of a, you know, a lot of famous singers and actors that are getting on in years, especially singers that have to go under the duress of doing a lot of concerts on the road, high-intensity style of living, to take growth, growth hormone just to keep young just to maintain a youthful look and you know, be able to recover the stress they put on their bodies. Well, it's not just strictly limited to athletes. Yeah, and but the athletes for sure are the ones who are going to need it because they're the mm. ones who they are worried about their actual physical health when it comes to competing. They're the ones who are really going to need it and really going to want it. And I always stress this. You, you, this is a finger. The stopping steroids or stopping any of this is a finger in a dam mm. that is eventually coming down because yeah. of science. Yeah. There's going to be a, a, a large scale ability to manipulate your own genetics. There's just, it's just eventual. It's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. They're looking into all sorts of artificial organs and recreating organs in labs, and they've been successful in doing this and successful in transplanting these. And they're, they're working on manipulating the human body at a very high level, and they're not going to stop. Mm. So it's eventually going to keep going in the same direction it's going. And one of the directions is, of course, performance-enhancing drugs, anti-aging drugs, things that make people younger. They've already discovered all sorts of different ways to manipulate the genetics to make you know mice stronger. Yeah. You know those things called myostatin inhibitors that they've done with mice, and there's there's photos of whippet dogs, and apparently whippet dogs are more susceptible to this because of the way they breed them. And that you know if they breed them incorrectly, if there's some sort of a mistake in their pairing or whatever, the, one of the offshoots, one of the the fuck ups is this lack of myostatin inhibitors, and these these whippets are giant super muscled yeah. dogs that don't even yeah. look real. They're going to be able to do that to people, man. Man, how fast we've, we've become, man. Can you imagine being alive like in the 13th or 14th century when they had no fucking medicine like we have now? No, when the surgical tools were fucking knives and uh, well, you know, hacksaws and shit like that. And you couldn't take a pain tablet, a, a painkiller, a headache tablet, nothing like that. I was just in Hawaii and I was reading about the, the great history of Hawaii and what, what happened and how it became an American state and all the whole deal. And one of the things was about how when uh, white people first came over to Hawaii, why one-fifth of the population died from disease. Really? One-fifth. Could you imagine? And that's incredible, man. That's just from 20% that. of your population yeah, just... And, and what's that, a couple hundred years ago? Fuck. You know, I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about it. It's just a few hundred years ago. But we're Today, talking about that earlier on. So you know, like that, 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 that downscaling of, of humanity from you go back 5,000 years ago and the ancient Greeks and the Egyptians and the ancient Romans just were so fucking intelligent, man. Mm. We're mapping constellations, we're mapping countries, we're you know, building machines back then that all of a sudden in the Dark Ages just all disappeared. Like mm. everything just fucking went downhill. Yeah. In a big way. Well, people are so flawed that as, as high as the heights can reach, there's always going to be a potential for a, a, a regress. Mm. There's always like the tide comes in and it goes out. And I think it's always moving forward, but there's always a potential for a Michelle Bachman type presidential yeah. situation and religious fanaticism overcomes the earth and fucking nuclear war. There's always a potential for that. And then there must be a rebuild. Like it will always move towards the positive and towards the more comprehensive and more evolved. But there's always the potential for relapses. But you don't wonder too, like 
the Dogon tribe, I think they're called in Africa. These mm-hmm. guys were fucking thousands of years ago mapping out constellations. Mm. Those like are the a fucking that, tribe in Africa. Were they the guys who thought they were from Mars? I think so, yeah. <laughs> or visited from, from yeah. people that took them in, in, in crafts that could show them a constellation. You, you ever get behind that, that Mars theory shit and start uh, looking at some of the things that are people I, are I saying? Love, I love reading that sort of stuff about that. I love David Icke, one of my favorite Yo, authors, you know, to a, read that sort of shit. But uh, keep an open mind. There's a stone. Right mm. down the street from my house. I'll, when we're driving back, I'm going to point this out to you because it's a fascinating stone. It's just a rock, man. Mm. It's just a rock that's sitting there, but it looks like it was cut square. It's not totally square, but it just randomly turned out to be this rock, the way it's shaped. And you, if you didn't know any better or if you had a satellite and you were looking from Mars you know, uh, and you were studying Earth and you saw that rock, you'd be like, look, this is proof. This is proof that intelligent life has created this rock. But no, it's just a rock. But dude, man. it comes again from people will believe what yeah. they want to believe. When I was in Italy just a few weeks ago, I went to my sister's wedding down in this mountain town where she lives in southern Italy. The town's got like 900 people in it. Okay. And it's nothing in the town. It's one fucking bar. It's old, hundreds so it's of years like George old. George Clooney and the American. Yeah, it's like nothing there, man. Nothing there. It's just this fucking old town up in the up in the top of a mountain. But this town has this window. And as soon as we got there, this old dude's like, oh, "I've got to got to show you the, the the window of the Madonna." The window of the Madonna. It's so famous. The Pope came here to our town, you know, years and years and years he ago. Fucked a boy right in out. front of this window <laughs> and checked it out. So I'm like, okay. Takes me behind this little alleyway, takes Irene and I behind this alleyway and like a little fucking window and he's like, look, you see the Madonna. I'm like, wow. the fuck? What? What are you talking about? He goes, the, the second window across right on the end there, the Madonna. There was this oil stain on the window, like fucking someone had thrown cooking oil on the window. That if you sort of looked at it and you had that picture in your mind that someone's telling you it looks like the Madonna, like the Virgin Mary, you think, yeah, okay, it looks maybe like a chick holding a baby. And it's like, oh, this is their big thing. The Virgin Mary holding the baby, the Madonna, a sign on the window. And for some reason, this fucking villager has managed to keep this oil stain on his window for like the past 30 years. That's amazing. Like, yeah. That's, uh, that's to me, just... I'm, I'm looking at it going, it's a fucking oil it's... stain. But people want to see what they want to see. People want to see, oh, it's the Virgin Mary. People go there and fucking pray to it. The Pope apparently rocked up at this village fucking years ago. And yeah, okay, cool. Listen, man, there's a broad spectrum of human beings, mm-hmm. and there's some dummies out mm-hmm. there, man. And that's an intelligence test. That's what that oil painting is, man, or that oil stain is. It's an intelligence test, and there's going to be a lot of people that fail that test. That's just the way it is. It's unfortunate, and I don't see any way around it until we figure out a way to have, like, super intelligent robots that do all the menial tasks that yeah. we need really dumb people. Yeah. And when we do have that happen... Then it's going to be even more of a problem because it's going to be some sort of a, a weird, bizarre welfare state where you know we're going to have to take care of all these morons that we had given shitty jobs before because they really don't have anything to contribute. We can and ship them to Tasmania. No, ship them to Tasmania. You fix it. You can't just do that. You can't export. <laughs> nah. You know, as our society becomes more and more self-sufficient and more and more reliant on computers, yeah. and then we don't need people to do mundane r- retard tasks. What the fuck, man? This is, we're going to have to figure out some... There's going to be some sort of an adjustment period where there's chaos, where the, where the morons you know, want their rights. You know, it's and going to be some those mundane tasks shit. That, yeah. 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 For real, man. I mean, look, we, you, you can't turn a, a, a group of people into little babies that always need their daddy and then just cast them loose in no. the woods and say, sorry, no more daddy. You know, because that daddy, they're going to they're gonna hate that daddy. <laughs> they're going to come back and they're going to want revenge. You know, and there's a lot of people out there that believe that they're they're guaranteed jobs, and that's what you know politicians always talk about. We're going to create jobs. Yes, give me a job. You mm-hmm. want me a fucking job? 
you know, that's the, the, the point of this whole idea of everyone working together is that everyone has something to contribute. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the way the system is set up, there's a huge chunk of people that don't have anything to contribute. So they have to find some way to plug themselves into the bureaucracy, plug themselves into this complicated economic situation. And that just it defeats the whole fucking purpose of the machine. Yeah. The whole purpose of the machine is everybody's got a little piece to play. Everybody's got a little thing to do. And this is this place is we're in such a, a weird state as far as uh, the evolution of society. We're, we're just getting past the need for that. And when we do, what the fuck, man? What are those poor people going to do? That's why the elites want to drop everybody down to 500,000 people. <laughs> if you talk to like Alex Jones, that's what he'll say. The new world order. The new world order. Mm -hmm. They're going to drop everybody down to 500,000 people, and then uh, they're going to they're gonna work with it from there. What do you think? Worldwide, I don't think that's w enough. Worldwide, 500,000 people. Yeah, I don't think that's, that's enough. not enough people, man. That'll, yeah, that's not enough. Not for all that. No, not enough at all. But Cities would just close down. You could. If what do you, you have? Like two people, the ten people per city. The idea is, if you could kill most people mm. and then rock all the resources in the world and have life extension, and that's the idea that you would have some incredible ability to stay alive forever. And you know, if you did have like some crazy, like super technical life, Aubrey de Grey life extension technology that only the elites had a hold of and you could live to be a thousand years old well then you know you could have like harems and shit and if there's only 500,000 people on the earth you could rock it just like a king but then who does all the shit work you have robots to do it. Oh, the that. robots are doing all the shit yeah. jobs robots do all the shit jobs there's only 500,000 people and you just fuck everyone and you live forever. So polygamy just running wild. Oh, yeah. Caligula style, bro. Fuck, man. That's probably the future. That's what everyone's scared of, right? Yeah. When they talk about the apocalypse, and it's always talks of gluttony. I mean, every story is the same. You know, every story is this, this, this like the fall of Rome, when what's told to us. It's always the same thing. They're yeah. fucking little boys and drinking in vomitoriums where they throw up and people, go right yeah. back in to eat again. And they're just, they were out of control. Yeah. And then they, they fell apart. It's yeah. always the same goddamn story. And if that is the same story, what the fuck are we doing right now? Yeah. I mean, if we're not paying, we've got to pay attention. Pay attention to what we're doing. We're, we, we're in wars all over the fucking planet. We're, we're involved in all sorts of fucking filth and craziness and the way we're polluting the environment and fucking devastating world economies and fucking people over in third world countries and providing what loans they can never pay back and then jacking all their resources. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's one case after the other to show that this is happening right now. Do you think back in those old days when they were raping and pillaging, they'd rape first then pillage or would you pillage first then rape it's a combo package you reckon whatever is going on to get on. Your, jo your jollies off no, first and then pillage no, for all the golden no, shit or do you go fucking take all the golden shit and now mm, I'm gonna rape a woman I think half the fun of the rape is you rape in front of everybody while you're pillaging because you just show you're such a wild fuck you just so you're in the room raping and Not the dude's just room. fucking stealing you're shit the street oh you're raping in the street you're raping everywhere no, no comfort rape Roman days bro yeah. there, there was no comfort raping raping in, no, no bed raping yeah, it's just like just fucking raping. throw down on just the logs and rocks Colosseum and shit you don't and care just if like, it feels good for her as long as it feels good for you yeah they were just you don't hear much about rape these days which I'm glad I mean <laughs> you're you plenty about much about Really? You're good on the internet. Man. No, man. But in Australia, rape, rape's, really? rape's a crime that was seen to be you know, trendy for criminals in the 80s and early 90s, but not many rapists these days. Well, you know what Australia wised up and did? Legalized prostitution. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Actually, that's, that's a good point. It's a big I forget you guys don't difference. have that a lot here. Yeah. There's a big goddamn difference. Yeah. And even if you don't you want sex, you just want to go somewhere and get jerked off. Yeah. In Australia, that is You can go drink your lunch break and get yeah. a 15-minute uh, hand job for like 40 bucks at a, at a yeah. brothel if you find one, yeah. you know? There's plenty Boom. around. And it's clean, and that's a wrap. It's just a hand on your cock, just a nice little massage. What's the big deal exactly. about a hand on the exactly. fucking cock? Exactly. Even, what's the big fucking deal? 
If, if you're working with some chick and you say to her, listen, give me a fucking toss in the toilet cubicle. What's the big deal of a chick putting her hand in your cock and just... If it was only that, you. if it was only that, but they're worried that you're going to leave and become in a relationship with this woman who's really good at jerking you off and then you're going to leave. You know, that's what, you know, that's what the, that's what it's set up for. If businesses employed up. a professional hand job artist to come in and service dudes like during their lunch break, just fucking, there you go, next, it's, next, it's relax up, for the afternoon, it's set up, ready though, to go. It's set up to keep the family. It's set up to make sure that you know, there's no threats to the family. Mm. And one of the threats to the family unit is the, the man getting pussy in other places. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why am I married to this bitch? Why am I supporting this system? And that man will not pay as many taxes. He won't be as successful. The money will go to, to the woman. And it's, it gets distributed totally differently. Like, there's benefit in the man being involved in a family. There's benefit in, you know, for a society. I mean, if you go back to Rome, the way they you know, mapped out how society should be, one of the things was to connect people with families. That way men can be trusted and mm. become reliable. You know, when men are single and they don't have their own children, they don't have a dog or a plant, they're just wild fuck machines. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's the, the male goal is to just fly to different spots all over the planet, shoot loads, and, and get out of there, you <laughs> yeah. know, until yeah. they have responsibility. So it's very difficult to, to collect the appropriate amount of taxes and to be able to control that man. You know, it's, you, 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 it's very hard to control the wild single man. That's why nobody wants a single president. You know, you want someone... We've got one. Abs- Do you really? Australian Prime like Minister. Girl, though? Julia Gillard's not married. Is a girl? Yeah, Julia Gillard. She's probably eating pussy like a champ. <laughs> She's probably out there choking bitches and eating oh, She'd assholes. have a hairy red-headed pussy too. Fire pussy. Is she, is she gay? Uh, no, no. Well, no, apparently not. She has a boyfriend. Is uh, yeah. I forget his name. A partner. A but part- she's not married. No kids. Not married. Good for her. Yeah, Julia Gillard. Well, look, it takes every kind of people to make this crazy world go round. Yeah. Maybe that's what it works when you don't have an army. But in America, we would never tolerate that shit. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, do you have an army in Australia? You must. I'm, I'm just kidding. We've got an army. Yeah, yeah. We've got an army. Australia, our specialty is like our special ops. And even the Americans will tell you that. It's like the Aussie guys are known for, let's say, Afghanistan. They send our guys in first. They're like mm-hmm. scouts, reconnaissance. Right. And we check out the fucking scene and scope it out. And then the Americans and everyone goes in. But that's what the Aussies are specialty at, is it fucking going in first, scoping out the fucking place. Sort of like Crocodile Dundee could get like really close to the enemy's camp and they wouldn't even know he was in the yep. woods, uh-huh. right? Yeah, Aussies That's are great. Shit. Our special forces, uh, I think it's the, called SAG, special arm. So you have the sneakiest Something. special forces. Yeah, we're forces. the sneaky little fuckers. We go in early, oh. we scope the fucking shit out. Then it's like, calling the Americans, bomb the joint. All right, you guys come in and fucking woo. Yeah, what over. a convenient relationship that we have then. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're in the first. We're always in there first. So you do have a, a, an army and a woman president. A female prime minister, because we use the British legal system, prim, prime there's, minister. There's people that think that could work here. This is the next wave, this Michelle Bachman wave and this Sarah Palin wave. And here's what's interesting about it, if you don't know. Michelle Bachman is married, first of all, to a gay guy. She's married to a wildly gay character who operates a pray the gay away clinic pray the gay oh one of those people who tries yes. to pray the gay out of people not only that they take I believe they take tax money for these fucking clinics they, they, they're allowed to somehow or another at least this has been told to me on Twitter I shouldn't even repeat it until I look into it uh, but from what I understand they, they operate on, on some sort of tax money some, some, somehow or another, they operate on taxes. I, I need to look into it to find out it's true. But what is true for sure, whether that guy knows it or not, he's gay as fuck. 
He is gay, he is gay as Ricky Martin in an airport hangar full of dicks. <laughs> he, he's gay. This guy's gay. And he he might not know it, but the way he walks and the way he talks, and he was talking about gay people being barbarians. He called them barbarians. Really? And so all these gay dudes dressed up as barbarians and went to his clinic. And there's a YouTube video. I tweeted it a few days ago. There's a YouTube video of these guys. And I tweeted, the guy sent, sent me a thing like, thanks for tweeting it. And I go, dude, is that you? You're a fucking hero. <laughs> they showed up at this guy's clinic and then they start, they, they, they start acting like barbarians. Like, <laughs> and they're wearing like really campy barbarian outfits. And then at the end, they, uh, they take a photo and the guy's name is Marcus Bachman. And all together they go, Marcus, what's in your closet? Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculous. They throw glitter on like Newt Gingrich. They Fuck. throw glitter on Michelle Bachman. Like to, you know, to like, you know, let them, make them, make them, force them to stay aware of, you know, gay rights and gay needs. Who do you think's gayer, Elton John or Ricky Martin? I think they're probably equally gay. More Elton John because he's been around back when there was no internet and you could just go fra- crazy freak orgy gay yeah. with crazy like sunglasses on. But do you reckon he gives it or receives it? Elton John gives it, I'd say. You reckon Elton's a giver? Except head. I think he receives the head. Mm. But gives the fucking... And gives the, the ass. Cool, up the That's ass. what I would say. And Ricky? I say both. He does whatever. Double whatever. adapter, really? Yeah, he's fucking moving around. He's moving and shaking. He's not adverse to any kind of experiences. Man. Hey, you say, oh, but you know what? If you were gay, you would say, oh, the other way. I have a friend who's That's gay. True. He's a, ca- a comic, and he said, first time I saw a pussy, I was like, ew, when's it going to heal? Oh. <laughs> we used to have the saying when we were young. We were talking about a chick's, uh, a chick's pussy. It's like, show us where the axe hit you. Mm, yeah. I heard that as well when Gash. I was very young, but I didn't remember it. Show us where the axe hit you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I just, why did I ask you that? Elton John or Rick and yeah, man. Why did you ask me that? That's because you're used to doing that. You're yeah. used to, with that whole fucking voice verses. You I'm always used have to two quirky questions. questions. <laughs> yeah, to throw people off. So with Elton John to be knockout, chokeout, wedgie, or head job of another guy. Not the bowl of fried shrimp. Yeah, Elton John's been around for a long ass time, dude. He had some killer hits though. Dude, fucking hell. He had a weird relationship too. Like one guy would write the song. Yeah, Bernie Taupman would write the songs and Elton would sing them and Elton yeah. plays the piano. Fucking genius artist though. Yeah, genius artist. Genius but fucking it's, artist. There's something I, I really appreciate a guy who writes and produces all of his own shit. For whatever reason, I it's like like a comic. Like if I find out that a comic has joke writers, I don't like him as much as a comic that doesn't have joke writers. You know? And for whatever reason, man, it's the same thing. Like, I know that Elton John's brilliant, and I, I love his songs, but I would like him more if he wrote them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Are you still into country music? Because yeah, last time like we did the voice verses, yeah. you were like, oh, yeah. getting up country music <laughs> and shit, man. I like Dwight Yoakam. I like some country music. And I like some music that you wouldn't consider country. Like, I like Leonard Skinner, yeah. which is really like southern rock. There's a lot of country in southern rock. Like, there's a song called The Ballad of Curtis Lowe. Mm-hmm. That's a goddamn country song, you know? It's a great song. There's, but there's a, there's a lot of, uh, it's just like, it's a style of uh, American music that I don't think that gets enough respect. There's some jamming country songs. Sorry, going back to gay people, apparently mixed martial arts has a huge gay following. Oh, of course. Huge gay following. What, men with perfect bodies that yeah. get on top of other yeah. men. I was talking to Andrew, Andrew Simon, the CEO of HDNet, a couple of days ago, and we'll talk about ratings and you know demographic of viewers and that, and he's like, huge gay viewership. Of course. Huge gay viewership. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah I would imagine. Yeah. Especially ones who like brutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can you imagine a gay guy like getting a boner over Brock Lesnar? Oh, I've seen gay couples at fights before. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Gay couples enjoying fights. Guys who you just know are gay. 
You know, mm. one guy's, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. I've seen it a bunch of times. Would a gay guy still get the same reaction, though, if he fucked a girl in the ass? A girl in the ass. What do you mean? Okay, so a gay guy will fuck another gay guy in the ass. Right. But would a gay guy be opposed to fucking a girl in the ass? I mean, an ass is still an ass. I think gay men look at women um, much more sexually than uh, a straight guy could ever look at a gay man. You know what I mean? Like to a, to a, a 